Donate to Grimerica. It'll feel real good. Donate to Grimerica. All will be right with the world. Donate to Grimerica. It'll feel real good. Donate to Grimerica. All will be right with the universe. And it was melted on. We've got one rock, which is quite interesting. That's the one that's got the star maps on it. Remember, it's melted twice? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and that's a really interesting one because it's a sheer coat on every side that was cut. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we are going to be chatting with Stephen and Evan Strong a little bit later about... Uh, Forgotten ancient tech and um, the origins of um, people in Australia, which is kind of interesting. It lines up with some of our the stuff we chatted with Bruce Fenton about and, and all sorts of chats we've had here in, in America already. Before that, we got uh, Graham. I'm feeling pretty triggered. Dunlop, how's it going, buddy? Why, why, why? why? I don't seem triggered today. Yeah. You're all swearing really? over there for no reason. You're cussing. Cussing. Yeah. Everything okay, buddy? Yeah. Just figure if I cast me, is it because the Democrats won the house back that no, you're upset? I don't even follow that. I wasn't even following any of that shit. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. You're off. I'm stepping out. You're out. Hashtag stepping out. Hash- creating a new movement. Just get out of the whole thing. Yeah, fuck it. Just don't even pay attention to any of it. Sweet. I was ahead <laughs> of the curve. Out. Yeah. So what's new, buddy? What do you got? Not much. Brand no, it's new. a good chat Dave with these Nugu. guys. It's pretty cool to hear how they started out just looking at the ancient mystery and then they ended up Oh and fucking then they ended up going down the E T path, right? Famous like, Clint know. P. People have been saying. People are actually asking in the chats, is this the Clint that suggests all the great guests? Yeah, this is the very Clint, same. Yeah. Clint had us on the show. Actually, Clint messaged the other day and said that he was in touch with Josh Toms and he was gonna be emailing us pretty quick. Oh yeah, I did have one fell through a little bit there, yep. Yeah. So yeah, in some ways he, he kind of is absolutely. And of course we have some other exciting stuff to get to. We got a bunch of stuff, uh, housekeeping, some new developments coming up, uh, to get to in the intro. We'll probably spitball some shit, say some shit. We regret all sorts of fun stuff. That's okay. So what do you got? You want to start? You want me to start? I we got some mail here. We can start all, with this I'm, mail. I'm probably a little rattled because I can't open up my UFO quote of the, uh, and it's of the week. Like I can't even open up the document at all. I can't believe I've actually my, my and my emails aren't working again on the lap, on the laptop. I just had lunch with so, Handler the other day. He mentioned your email. Why? Because he's fucking with it remotely, or no? I think he was mostly poking fun. Really? Well, it's it's there's evidence here. It's not just me, right? It's it's my phone wasn't working, then all of a sudden it starts magically working on its own. Now the piece, this thing. Maybe not it working. is all just James fucking with you. Maybe it's that blank disc I popped in there. Brody was saying he's still worried about that. Is that the one that just came in the mail? Yeah, I know. I shouldn't. I just thought, like, Did let's get risky. With... Let's just take a chance let's and throw risky. it in. Did it someone mail it? No, yep. No label, no nothing. Was I it with it a letter or anything? It was just a disc. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I've got, they've got was full there, control of my computer. Was probably. there a return address or anything? <laughs> nothing. Nothing, I don't think. Huh. Luckily, your computer isn't linked to the company accounts. Well, I figured well, there wouldn't be much. This in is there a anyway. really old laptop, and I figured, what's the worst that can happen? But I mean, geez, it, it, we do do everything. Like, you know, I do do a lot of stuff on here. But, anyways, I don't know where that disc went. I mean, I wanted to give it to the handler to analyze. 
you guys, you guys were, you guys had it. I gave it to you guys, and you've lost it. And I wanted to get I, it. Well, it might have been by. in the old studio. Yeah, I know. But might now, have been where, in the, now where is it? Who knows? Oh. Could be at the dump. Anyways, so or it could be in a box someplace waiting to get put into another computer. You know, I've someplace. got like seven UFO quotes lined up that I can't access. I just wanted to finish it so I could get on with the deep state quotes from uh, Charlie Robinson's book, mm -hmm. The Octopus uh, of Global Control. That does sound frustrating. Yeah. So I set my, I capped my Twitter time at 33 minutes a day. Oh boy. Is that so? That's too much too, I think. That's, that's still too much. What, what were you doing before you capped it? I think my average is 23 minutes a day. Oh, that's not bad. That's on Twitter. Yeah. So you're talking about the new update on the iOS? Yep. The new iOS Which update. Which I don't understand why they would even do that. Why they would even highlight to well, people like how I was much saying they're today, using their phone. Like, it's just a matter of time until employers start wanting to see this shit. So you get pretty busy at work. You were getting like, what, hundreds of calls a day? So yeah, if I go into my if I go into my last seven days, so my screen time today is at six hours and forty four minutes, and it's mostly on my phone, my messenger, and my Discord. So when you click the button on the top right and you turn your screen off, does that stop that act? That I don't know. How, I don't know how like, it works. It seems and like, to what stay if you on. Carry it around. It seems to stay on for a while because like there's no way I'm on my phone that much in an eight hour day. Oh, but my right. phone's my phone's always on my dash thing in front of me. Yeah, so, so I don't know. You're on so like if I get a text, then I'll just leave it open there for while I'm driving around town. You should probably just close that off a little Hit bit. Hit the square, but it's plugged in all day. It's just so the cops that are beside you don't oh. see the text on your dash. Like, That's you right. Know, True it's... point. True that. So if I go to my, uh, I go to my last seven days of use, I average six hours a day. Two hours. And... So that, that's, 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 that's it, eh? There's not a lot of night, nighttime use there? Well, it doesn't, well, I, like my Saturday and Sunday are like uh, less than 50% of my average weekday. Hmm. And then I've got, so three and a half hours of productivity, two hours and 50 minutes of entertainment. What does that mean? So 20 hours of social podcast, networking. But that's just, all, it's also, it, it puts in, so if I go to my week, I've got fucking eight hours of text messaging and four hours on the telephone. It's fucking depressing. <laughs> It's fucking depressing. <laughs> so does that count as productivity? So my daily average, okay. I get 680 text messages a week. Does that count as productivity? I don't know. No, no, that counts as social media. And then I have like nine hours in Discord. See, this is the thing that like we should have addressed with John C. Dvorak. We had him on the last episode and he's not a phone guy. He's a tech guy, but he's not a phone guy. And I want to challenge him on that. Like him and Joe, I mean, Adam too, he wants to, we're talking about the guys from the No Agenda show. And Adam's got, you know, he's got his OTG, his off the grid phone. Yeah. And he's trying to um, show how healthy that is, which is, which I totally agree with that. But I think they underestimate what these phones are nowadays. I picked For up somebody, my phone. Like, I picked up my phone 961 times this week. <laughs> <laughs> but no, does that mean, does that mean you, when, oh, no, 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 that's in the last, you just dumped your coffee all over <laughs> Sorry, dude. the fucking power bar. We almost just fried the studio. You might, Sorry. you might fry the fucking studio yet. I don't think this shit happens instantly. <laughs> Yes. Have you got a towel? It looks, it looks outdoor. At least I did it on the, the beefiest power bar we have here. Sorry about that. So anyway, uh, far and away, most of my, most of mine is text message. 
No, but what's picking up? I need to. What, what's the Pick definition up is when of your screen up? goes on? When your, your screen, screen goes on. Yeah. So you 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 get past the password. It knows. So it doesn't it just knows light when you up. Pick it up. It doesn't just light up. No, but is it picking it up physically off when it's off? If I'm carrying around my phone no, and it's clicked it's off, the, that's I not think counted it's like, pickup. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I haven't looked into it enough yet. I just started using it, and it's just fucking. Do they define the parameters? It's super annoying. This? No, 125 p- notifications a day is too much. So I'm shutting off more notifications. You know what? I don't even have my fucking any of my email notifications or any of my Twitter notifications or any of my Discord notifications. I shut off all my notifications except for like text message, PayPal, and the shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, I get. I get. The amount of text messages and phone calls I get a day is fucking retarded. But this is but this is your main community. You are that's working right. with this when you're at work, this is how you work. Well, that's right, and that's you, annoying you're, because you're I'm communicating like, with like twenty, fifty guys. You're yeah, around. I went in there to see if I could change it because I thought that I should be able to um I should be able to because I went in there and I thought, okay, well I want to change because it's got text messaging under social networking. I'm like that looks bad when I've got all this hours on social networking when it's actually mostly discord, which I consider fucking semi work because it's Grimerica. I'm spending time there interacting with the audience. It's a little bit, that's too much, too much time in discord. I got to get out of there. How much bit, was it in discord? It's like an hour a day. Yeah. Um, it's not so bad. It's a little much, but a discord, I, you know, it's, that's the one that I'm kind of okay with, but I was going to change the text messaging at least into productivity. Because 95% of the text messages I get are fucking work related. That's what I'm saying. So what's productivity? And a hundred percent of the phone calls. So what is productivity though? If you're emailing, it calls it productivity, but if you're texting, it doesn't. That's that's right. That's weird. So So I was looking to see if I could go in there and move it around and you can't move it around. So I'm guessing there'll be an update eventually that'll allow me to say, okay, discord is his work or this is that, you know what I mean? Instead of their predefined. So because... Oh man, we're taking pictures, you're emailing pictures, you're you know. I was wondering is like is like our industry do you think like us in in construction and stuff like that do you think we do more off the phone than someone normally I would? I think so. Like an office person Because like got they always say to me your dad is fucking three times anyone else in the company and I'm well, like, yeah, well I'm the only person who spends my entire fucking existence basically away off of the Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, I mean, every picture I send, every email I send, I send, you know, 10 pictures a day. I'm fucking, I go through a lot of data. Yeah. Like 15 gigs a month. Something like that. Yeah. My neighbor's got the, he's still like, he's still like grandfathered into the, when Rogers lets you have unlimited for a while. And he's like, he has to buy all his phones cash now. Because he's like, they're trying anything to get him off of this fucking blind. And I know a couple of people like friend of the show, Cyrus, he's got it in the States. There's a few people in the States. I know there's more people in the States that have it. This, this guy's the first guy I've met in Canada that's still on this unlimited data plan. And he's like, cause we have the Wi-Fi." And I was like, you know, do you want me to move the Wi-Fi?" Cause he's like, I don't give a fuck. Right? He's like, I get, he's like, I get, I did 80 gigs one month. No. <laughs> How could you do that? Yeah, I don't know. Is he's that entertainment like, or product productivity? Oh, I don't know. That's like he's just watching. You know, he's no, know. streaming just, his fucking Netflix through his TV, yeah. using his phone as a hotspot. And... So he's just trying to see how far. He yeah, can I was, rack I it was up. like, dude, you could probably sell that fucking line for ten grand. He should be hotspot in the neighborhood. That's right. Yeah. I should tell him I want his yeah. Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so uh, what? So listening to a podcast is that productivity? 
Or is that entertainment? That's not screen time. If you sat there looking at your screen it, time, your screen the whole time you listen to a podcast, it'd probably say you're no, 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 no. It's going to calculate it going through there. It's not just visual. I'm sure if you're listening to music on here, it's it's capturing screen that screen time, dude. If you got your thing on and you're listening okay, to okay, a podcast, okay, 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 okay. Here, let's fucking end this once and for all. Because I listen to fucking like hours of audiobooks and podcasts every day, and they're not on here. Actually, books it says 14, 14 <laughs> minutes. I spent 14 minutes in the last seven days. Oh, no, it's oh. not on, so it's not on there. That's something else. Oh, sorry. I spent 35 minutes in the last seven days in my books app, and I only spent an hour in my podcast app. See, so it's so, only when you're actually in there navigating on Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Because even my YouTube time is surprisingly low. That's because now that I've upgraded, I can play shit in the fucking background. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. think it counts it, yeah. which is what a difference. Yeah. So I that's got to be a YouTube show, but so that fucking background play now. is like, the, is, it's worth the money. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 100% so much better right now. We, find, we finally upgraded our YouTube and it's uh, way better because people are always sending YouTube stuff and I can never, I, I used to never be able to, to, uh, to, to use it because I'm so used to the, you know, doing things on demand with the podcast and shutting it off and doing something at the same time. So anyways, my point was, I think people underestimate these, these phones and how valuable they are for business and for work. Like, yeah, you have to try and separate that out. But I mean, people are, you know, that's, that's your computer. Now this is your, this is more than your computer used to be, you know, bingo, bango, hundred (laughs) percent. But a lot of people don't need them for what they, like. Yeah. A lot of people just use them for. Yeah, yeah, totally. Bingo, bango, sorry. So what's productivity? I'm trying to figure out, is an email, so an email Email, says Emails are productivity. It doesn't give me a break. Oh, wait, what's this? So productivity, it's saying Outlook, Mail, the Facebook page is fucking productivity. Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) Come on. Because of Facebook marketing. That's Zoom, Docs, Mega. Right That's just disgusting. Trello, right PayPal, my banking app, mail, the Facebook page. So you text, so you text, text all day. At social networking, so, social networking, Discord, text messages. Which I went, I went into text messaging to see because it says category, but then it doesn't allow you to change a category. But I'm, I'm assuming you're going to be able to change a category on the next update. Anyway, we just wasted 20 minutes talking about shit we hadn't planned on talking about. We still got a bunch of shit to talk about. We only got a bit of time left. Did you get your email open yet? Uh, well, I got some email open yet, not my latest. All right, I'm going to steal the show. It's not working now, again, so you just... Get out a pen and paper and write this down. I'll buy you some time. Why don't I'm ready you to go as far as like mail to being the ready America for show At P.O. Box 16033. Next line. Uh-huh. 100 815, 17th Avenue, SW. Next line. Uh-huh. So get Calgary, this. Alberta. Next line. I think uh-huh. there's a guest. Canada. <laughs> Next line. Uh-huh. T2T space 5H7. That's the PO box. Why don't you send Darren some dirty socks? Because he's got a dirty sock <clears throat> Okay. First message. I gotta say, I'm a little nervous. Open the mail this week. I'm shaking around a bit. Making sure. So what, you're just yeah, I'd rather, shaking I don't know, for some so reason that, I'd rather it blow, it's like so the, the envelope's anthrax, gonna save me. So, so <laughs> the anthrax power just fucking bursts into a big puff of smoke? So, well, it's especially sketchy when they don't have return addresses. Oh. Guess not, this one's coming from, oh, here we go. 
from Brett W., nickname Red, in uh, Grantville, Australia. There's a picture on there. He drew us a picture. So the name is on the roof. And it's taped shut. And, ooh, wow, this is great. Genuine kangaroo scrotum. Are you serious? Is that made out of kangaroo balls? Darren, let me see. It looks like there was something else in there that broke. Like pills? Ooh, some money. It says it's a says it's a kangaroo scrotum. Jesus fucking Christ, Graham! Uh, Yeah, I just spilled that coffee the other way all over myself. Here's an Australian dollar. Yeah, thanks. Wow. Thanks for the gift. Appreciate it. All right, let's get to the note. I'm soaked. I'm soaked right now. Hi, guys. Fuck off, Darren. Don't pick on my spelling. <laughs> or grandma. Or grandma. <laughs> grandma. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll leave it alone. And messy writing. They couldn't... Fix it in school, so don't try. <laughs> anyway, love you guys. Your show is freaking awesome. The radio is not even turned on. Straight to the podcast on the way to slavery. Work. <laughs> and back home. Though you two would love this money bag. Oh, I thought. He's missing the T. <laughs> thought you two would love this money bag. Have fun. Playing with my sack. Two golden dollars inside. Don't spend it all at once. Everyone should support the show because you and your team deserve it. Good vibes. Brett W. Red. He didn't say, I'm not going to say, I, I feel like I shouldn't say his last name. That's okay. Brett W. from Australia. Thanks for the note. We'll put it in the note case. Your note's actually a little ripped, like they might have fucked with it a little bit. We got our kangaroo skirt. What, this, what's that thing broken on the bottom there? Is I that, don't know. Is it looks like or? it was a bead of some sort. It looks like it was uh, a blue bead, like a blue bead that maybe went on, probably went on the handle of that oh, or yeah, something. Oh, yeah, probably, yeah, maybe. But the customs fucks broke it. Yeah. So, so thanks why don't you that. hold it up to the camera so that people can go to the YouTube channel and <clears> see the scrotum? <laughs> this one's got an elastic on it. It's got a bunch of Star Trek stamps. And it's from uh, Rhode Island. Please don't explode. This one has a customs declaration tape to it. Does that mean they they searched it? That means the weed's gone. Why the fuck's it say my name on it? Put Graham's name when you send drugs. Thanks, Casey. All right. I think I know Casey a little, so I don't think... <gasps> Whoops. Rip the note. Oh, we'll have to read that next time. Darren ripped right to the note. We'll have to spend <laughs> some time to put it together. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll we'll save that for next time. I think it'll be okay. Oh, there's a CD in there. A couple of them. We don't, have don't put that CD in my computer. One, spiritual and Historical Mysteries of the Sea. And the secret history of the universe. The label does it for you, Brody. If it's got a label, you. It's more legit, yeah. And we've got this little, uh, looks like a Sasquatch magnet. Nice. We've got a note, which I think I'll still be able to. Oh, we got some 
Oh, this has got to be. I, 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 oh, look at it all. Wow, we got. Holy, this is strong magnet. We got a bunch of stickers here. We got a $2 bill. We got a bunch of stickers. Actual $2 bill for good luck. We got all these. Billy Bonds gave me a $2 bill, too. We got what looked to be a couple of weed seeds. Looks like one's broken. Why'd you throw that back so quick? Are yeah, you a fucking I don't narc? The weed seed. Don't have to read this bit on air. Follow us on Instagram so we can spread your posts around. At Chicken Parmesan. <laughs> at Crazy Farrell. C R A Y S E Y F A R E L. Instagram. And M Double M Micro Crown. Okay. Okay. We got the note. It's a little ripped, but I think. Sorry, Chicken Parmesan. I thought I was already following you. There you go. I'm following you now. Oh, what an intense note. <clears throat> hey, Darren and Graham, bingo, bango. We are brother and sister Grimericans from the smallest state in the USA, Rhode Island. Been listening to the show for almost three years and still can't get enough. Our friends, shout out to M-M-I-C-R-O-W-N, turned us on to Grimerica. We've bought some swag and some stickers and represent everywhere we go. Nice. Couple goodies in here for you guys. Enjoy the seeds, Darren. You can decorate the new igloo with the stickers and magnets. Have a few, made a few one-time donations in the past, but a monthly subscription is definitely in the future. And in the future... Our income is more stable. The two CDs are talks from one heck of an interesting man, Dr. Nathan Rosenblum. Rosenblum. These are just a taste of his wealth of knowledge and mind-blowing conversations. Possible future guest material? Dot, 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 question mark. You guys keep our long drives and boring workdays full of interesting facts, theories, and experiences. We love discussing which episodes we just listened to and have purchased several books from past guests. Thanks for spreading the word and keeping us all woke. Good vibes from Sean and Casey. And thanks to MM Micro W for um, putting them on because I remember them from Instagram. Instagram? Or he said, P.S. <laughs> get your listeners to support so you guys can, so Gasa can still happen. Gasa, oh, gas is gone. Gas is dead. Gas is dead. The earth is round. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, probably is. <laughs> yeah. So one of the seeds made it. Brody. All right. See if it germs, I guess. I don't know. All right, let's get to the news. It looks a little beat up. Thanks to everybody for sending that stuff in, and I'm glad you guys are all connecting. I remember you guys from Instagram, so thanks for the, the package. We'll check out those CDs. If you're going to send CDs, please label them like these guys did. No unlabeled <laughs> CDs that tempt me to put them in my computer. To find out what they are. To find out what they are. <laughs> and then lose them. All right, so we got some news. <coughs> you want to talk about this? Yes, I do. <coughs> Sorry, I wasn't ready. <coughs> okay. You want to start? You want to start? 
Sure. Okay. You go well, ahead. we, for the last couple of years, we've done this thing called contact at the cabin where it's just a bunch of our friends from the show really um, getting together. And every year, like the first year was, was just a few people. The second year was on Oregon. You guys heard us in Oregon. You guys heard us talking about it was at this uh, house on the coast. And this year we are doing sort of a bigger one in Colorado, is it? Yeah, well, I think we're sort of still calling it CAC. I don't know if it's going to stay called CAC. I think the two things will end up being two different things. So like, I still think the the idea of uh, doing the CAC thing is fun, and it's a, a nice way to maybe meet fans and stuff like that, and being able to do it for free, um, where we just sort of get to the same place. The pro- One of the problems with CAC was this year uh, interest was way up. Um, so it started looking like logistically it was going to be a bit hard to do what we had done in the past, which was just grab an Airbnb and everyone pitch in on it. Um, so, I mean, I think we're still going to do something there. We're going to look at, I think we had talked before about just maybe doing it where we go spend a weekend at a hotel someplace and we just talk about it for six months before and we all meet up at the same hotel and we all take care of our own lodgings and make it someplace where there's something cool to go do. But for now, I think it'd be a good idea to get everyone in fucking Calgary in January or Edmonton. What are you talking about? Why? 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 Whoa, that's a good one. Who's going to want to come come and see what it's like to be a flight? Come and see what it's like for canceled. It's the most unreliable travel time ever. (laughs) Come see what we put up with. I'd like to just consider this event that we're going to talk about as CAC. It's contacted the cabin, but it's for way longer. And we have a bunch of different uh, options and we have, uh, one of our favorite all-time it does have the, It does up. have the opportunity to turn into that for sure because what's happening with this one is there's already a couple people that are getting like side lodgings and they're going to stay there the whole week and sort of so it's, it could get interesting in that sense where it could be, you know, some unofficial stuff going on and some of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, where, yeah. you know, yeah, you're still yeah. hanging out longer than the actual yeah, yeah. ticket says. Okay. Um, so should we jump right into it? Let's do it. Just fucking boom. Okay. So basically, um, we actually came real close to pulling the trigger on CAC. We thought we had a place down in Georgia. Um, it kind of fell through last minute, and um, we were making plans on what we were going to do, and I randomly, somewhat synchronously, got a phone call from our friend Brad, who, of course, is real good friends with Randall Carlson, and uh, me and him chatted for a little while, and, and sort of from that, this sort of spawned. We talked to a friend of the show, Alan, our Minister of Travel. Um, and he has put together sort of uh, sort of CAC meets conference meet, meets podcast. We're going to take the conference out of the hotel. We're going to take the podcast out of the studio. And we're all going to go meet up on a 122-acre uh, property lodge down in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. A massive lodge. Yeah. Massive lodge. Massive. Like uh, massive multi-million dollar property sitting on 122 acres. It's got a private lake. It's got... All sorts of insanity. I think the the, the thing's like a thousand bucks a night is the rent. Um, so you know, it's one of those things that I can never go. I'll I'll never be able to afford to go and get a fucking thousand dollar a night thing. So it's you know that's kind of adds to it to be able to go and hang out in a spot like that. Well, the other thing is we're gonna travel. We're gonna travel around. The last time we talked to Randall Carlson, we were talking about traveling up in Canada here. Yeah, that's uh, right. That was this summer, but I mean, it was too too short notice. But I mean, we had a great time traveling with those guys last. Yeah, we've traveled years with them ago. Fourth, two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Now we traveled with those guys a little bit, 
and you know Randall is full of knowledge and he can talk for hours and he is the like ultimate guest to hang out with for a few days. So let's get into the the gist of the. So basically, you know. this is what what was happening is I was talking to Brad and Randall and they've got some sites in Colorado that that Randall's been going to get, wanted to go look at that he was you know looking at at trying to trying to save up some money or whatever and get to go and see sometime in the next year or two. And I was like, well, you know, maybe we can work together and and figure out a way to do it sooner. So this is kind of what, what we've come up with. We've got uh, Grimerica contact at the cabin 2019 featuring Randall Carlson, uh, the locations Elk Lake Lodge, Colorado, Pagosa Springs, private 122 acre property with three sides border bordering on a national forest, 20 minutes from town. Um, so basically, the lodge is going to offer varying degrees of accommodations from camping to a limited number of private rooms. Obviously, the private rooms are a lot more expensive than the camping. Um, Randall Carlson, of course, will be occupying one of those private rooms for the entire 10 days. Um, so it's not just uh, it's not just the conference where you go and hang out and, you know, Randall disappears. We're talking about you're staying in the same house with Randall and, and uh, Grimerica for three days. Um I think I might end up gone for a few days in the week, but one of us will be there the whole time. Yeah, sure. I'll, probably, I'll probably be there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and then I'll come down for the weekends <clears> or <throat> see what see what we can figure out. I mean, we still have day jobs. That's a problem. So can some people, if they want to do this, can they? Because really all, all people are paying for is the lodging and uh, to help uh, transportation costs. Yeah, I'm going to go Randall, through. Like, you're going to go through all that? I'm going to go through that here now. So basically Randall's going to be doing uh, three tours to locations in the area during the 10 days. Um, since he's right there, Rando's going to give three formal talks, um, in the cabin, one for each group. And then we're going to do some informal fireside chatting. Uh, each morning breakfast will be provided and lunch will be available either at the cabin or on tour by us. So that's included in the ticket price, your lunch and your breakfast. Dinner is up to the Grimericans to prepare the, the, the property has two kitchens um, so wow. you, so you can either grab your own dinners and, and you, we had talked about doing dinner, but you know, that's kind of the spot people might want to go out for dinner for a few hours. There, it's and go only do 20 something. minutes from, from the town, Yeah, 20 right? minutes from town, or you can buy some groceries or get some steaks or do whatever you want for dinner in case you don't like what we're deciding to cook. Um, so yeah, so dinner will be up to you. Of course, we're going to take care of your lunch and your, you know, if we're at, we're probably just going to do like scrambled eggs and bacon and buffet in the morning. And then lunch will be burgers and stuff like that, salad and fries. And then if we're in the field, we'll probably pre-make some sandwiches and give yeah. them to you guys in the morning to take yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, since an outing like this would run you into the, who knows? I mean, I mean the, the bill for the Airbnb for the 10 days is fucking enough to make you fall over. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, and there was, it's not like we didn't, you shopped around that that's probably the only one that was available of that size. That's willing to let 30 some dudes come and. Yeah, people descend on people. the place or people. Yeah. yeah, people. Not all dudes. But. No, no, not all dudes. You know what I mean? Though that's how it comes off when a per- dude is calling, making yeah. arrangements. You know, that's the, I picture the landlord. You know, it reminds me of when me and my buddies used to go and try and rent, and they're like, "Yeah, we're really looking for a family, man. Sorry." <laughs> anyway, since an outing like this would run you into the who know what's, even if you could get your go-to guy to bunk in a house with you, it'd be pretty hard, hard to pull it off at this level. Um, <clears throat> So, this year, the Grimerica Empty Seat Steering Committee is offering up slices of Randall with the CAC. Um, each serving of Randall will be a full two-day Grimerica CAC retreat. 
Even better, the last slice is three full days. Rest assured that each precious slice contains one of Randall's as of late rare outings, and these aren't skimpy slices, folks. They are robust robust masses of dot-connecting wizardry surrounded by knights on all sides filled with majestic voids and crowned with cool star-sprinkled Colorado clear sky. And if that's not enough, each will be slowly toasted around the open fire under the stars. Yes, it is indeed all happening. So basically, um, we tried to run it. We don't want to ever go. We're doing only 25 tickets per event. Uh, that was at Randall's request. He figures a group of 25 is about as much as you can do in that setting, especially when you try and get them out into the field and stuff like that. And you're trying to give everyone, he doesn't want to spread himself too thin. So we're going to run it this way. Um, so we've got the May 17th to 20th, May 20th to 23rd, May 23rd to 27th. Um, so yeah, that last weekend is going to sell it quick. That's the longer one. I've been telling people to go to the first one. They might want to go to the longer one. Oh, is this the long weekend is the, is the, uh, <clears throat> the long weekend you get an extra day and it's the same price. Is that the, is that the, at the, the end, the end weekend? weekend yeah. The, the end weekend, weekend oh, okay. is the, is, uh, huh. is the people arrive at 4 PM Thursday and they don't have to check out till Monday morning. Right. So here's just the rough schedule. It's basically, uh, I'll go through the first weekend and you can kind of take it through the other dates. It works the same, except the last weekend has the extra date. If I did tell you to take the first weekend, I meant to tell you to take the last weekend. It's not too late to change that. Once those 25 spots are sold though, it is too late to change that. So basically on the Friday or the first day, which it would, but we'll assume you're taking the first package, you arrive, check-ins, uh, 4 PM, no dinner provided. So bring your own dinner Saturday. We haven't set the locations for the tours yet, but it'll be two different tours. Um, Saturday, the 18th, we'll be out with Randall all day, breakfast and lunch provided Sunday, the 19th, we'll be out with Randall again, breakfast and lunch provided. Of course, I think what we'll do on the Friday night is one of those nights, we're going to do a live panel podcast sort of thing where we're going to interview Randall and it is well, well, a question, a bunch of questions. We'll have, a, Q&A, we'll have a Q&A and then we'll have all the audience able to get their questions in yeah. as well. Um, then on Saturday, we'll go out, we'll do the thing, come back, Randall, do the formal presentation Saturday night. And then Sunday night, I think we'll leave because some people might end up leaving Sunday night. Um, I think we'll do Sunday night, sort of the more the informal fireside chat. When do we get to do the C-SETI in? You could do C-SETIing every night. Right, I mean, well, that's what I mean, to, basically lead a couple, by like eight, lead a group into by like eight, nine PM, everything's by like seven, eight o'clock, everything's shut down for the night and you're on your own. So, you know, I'm sure there'll be tons of that. Okay. C-SETI and stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's people that are, I don't want to name drop or anything like that, but there's going to be, there's some people that are coming to the event already that are looking at buying tickets that are going to be fun to hang out with for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Same thing. Last CAC was unbelievable weekend of conversation and fun. Yeah. We even played some Dungeons. We're selling some tickets to past guests. Yeah. Um, so basically here's the breakdown and then, so, so then Monday morning, you got to be out by 10 AM. Um, and then that Monday afternoon, the next group comes in, stays till Thursday. They're out 10 AM Thursday morning, the Friday, like I say that last weekend, you get the extra day. There's only 25 spots for the last weekend. You're going to want to get them quick. Um, of course the other thing is for the next month, so until December 9th, supporters only. If you're not a supporter of the Grimerica show, you ain't getting a ticket, period. You can go sign up for a monthly, then email me and I'll give you a ticket, fine. But if you don't support the show, don't bother emailing me until December 10th. December 10th, yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's a full month of our a supporters. Full month to- for our supporters and 
to to get through the door and you get a ticket if they want one. Yeah, that's right. That? I didn't mention that. If you so, let's go through the pricing first. So, a single private space, which is a private bedroom, quiet private queen bed, is um, seven fifty for the three nights lodging. Okay. Of course, that includes the meals and stuff like that. But anyway, and the vans and yeah, um, and yeah, we're gonna drive you to the tours and stuff like that, so you don't have to get all that by yourself. Um, so that's seven fifty. If of course, if you're gonna bring someone with you. Because it's a a, mini, uh, a seated event and we've only got 25 seats, if there's two people going into that queen room, we're going to cancel a camp spot and we've got to add that camp spot to the rate. So if you and your wife are coming to get a queen room or you and your buddy are going to squid a queen bed, the price is $1,250, not $750. If it's just you in that room, then it's $750. Um, we've got a bunch of, there's a couple rooms that have like uh, three or four bunk beds in them each. Um, those beds are six fifty. Again, that's for three nights, includes your meals, transport. Again, I mean, three nights lodging at a hotel is going to cost you probably four hundred and fifty bucks right there. So, think yeah, 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 for a yeah. few bucks more than that, you're getting everything else. Um, then we've got some pullouts. Those are six hundred bucks a pop. Um, same thing if you and you and your buddy want to share a pullout couch instead of doing the tent thing, you still got to pay that tent spot because we have only twenty five spots. Um, and then we've got, uh, I think there's like 10 or 12 camp spites. Like we're on 122 acres, so it's not like you're camping two feet. You guys will have the run of the place. You go camp wherever the fuck you want. Just stay away from the Sasquatch. Stay away from, stay away from Graham's C-SETI spot. And of course, so there's a 25-person <laughs> limit on each of these. Transportation is provided to and from the airport, at Durango Airport, not Denver, and to and from the events. Um, arrivals are responsible for dinner. We can coordinate and provide for additional loving. Each loving? code participates in... in loving? Additional yeah. loving? I don't what? know what that means. I just, I just read what Alan wrote. Um, oh, God, you got to proofread stuff, dude. Breakfast is provided for the outbound people, so you do get your breakfast Monday before you check out. Oh, okay. And, of course, the tents have absolutely fucking full access to everything in the house. It's not is like, there tents there? No. You have to bring your own tent. I think you have to bring your own tent. We should probably confirm that. What? There's tons the fire of fire pits, pits yeah, yeah. Tons yeah. of fire pits. All right. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And then it's you have full access to the house. So basically, you just go to the tent when you're going to sleep. Yeah. And then you wake up in the morning, come out to the fucking house and hang out with everyone. Yeah. So, so yeah, the tent spots are 500 bucks a pop. Then it's about half tent and half in the house. So, I mean, I, some people might just want to put a tent. Tent might be nice and peaceful. Unless you're doing the private room thing, and you got a, we're 122 acres, so we should be able to camp around without bumping into each yeah. other too much. All right. So Sounds that awesome. that's basically it in a nutshell. Um, uh, Camlin's contact and everything. His email is uh, we made it the email CAC2019. So that's C A C two zero one nine at hdtravels.me, which will be in the show notes, of course. If you can't figure that out, just fucking spam Graham, spam me. We'll get you there. You got to be a supporter till December 9th if you want to get in. Um, spam me, spam Graham, we'll get you in. Uh, if you go in the chats, just find at Camlin. He'll get you in. But yeah, uh, I'd get in there quick because I, I want to say that uh, just in the, the people we've told word of mouth before this even gets out, there's a, t- a few tickets are already sold. Yeah. So um, We had to formalize it and do tickets and all that because it has to be you know, you can't do something this like this size with as many people just with a, on a bunch of words and somebody's putting down a huge down payment and all. I mean, a lot of stuff. The has down to be payment paid was the, front, the down so. payment was fifty five hundred dollars yeah. on the property, yeah. and that's fucking paid. So yeah. you know, I yeah. can't. We can't do that on good intentions. Yeah. 
And that's not out of fucking donations either because we don't have those donations. Yeah. You know, if we didn't have fantastic fucking people helping out, we'd be fucked. We yeah. couldn't even do something like this. It's a, it really is a tripod, and we're only one leg of that tripod. Yeah. yeah. All righty. So that's it in a nutshell. Exciting. Love it or hate it. Awesome. And, of course, I've already uh, been in chats with another guest about possibly doing one farther down the road. So, if I mean, if the first one goes well, this could be something that we start doing uh, a little more regularly. Right on. So just so people know, too, CAC is contact at the cabin, like if you have a hard time remembering that. So it's CAC 2019. What the fuck? Right? Can we just, uh, can we just oh, finish I it? can take the audio from your, holy yeah. fuck. Dan just had a heart murmur, <laughs> a heart palpitation. I swear I hit record. And you didn't? I Apparently not. You think it's out of space? Maybe. Jeez, just stopped recording on the most important episode ever. <laughs> Is this the most important episode well, ever? For, you know, for all the, for the rollout of this thing, yeah. What else you got? That's it, man. Let's, let's, uh, all right. Support the show on. too. We really do need support guys. We've got, uh, you know, this is one of the first step in what we hope to be multiple steps into, you know, getting our own servers one day and having an office and all sorts of stuff that, you know, yeah. can't do without supporters. Grammarica.ca slash support. We'll quit bugging you guys. Enjoy the chat with Steven and Evan and Clint. Tonight we've got a special one coming up here. We've got Clint, our favorite uh, listener recommendation guy with us to help out with this one. And we've got uh, Stephen and Evan Strong. They are authors, researchers of progressive archaeo historians, uh, speakers. They've been doing presentations and they've written a few books. Uh, really, really fascinating research. Kind of stuff we've talked about on the show before about uh, ancient, ancient histories and alternative history and and mysteries and uh, sacred artifacts and all kinds of stuff. So welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for uh, coming on. Thanks for asking. Happy to be here. So we were just chit-chatting a little bit before, and Clint was mentioning, uh, you know, he's going to have some questions for you guys about some specific stuff. But, like, you guys have so much content, like six books, lots of presentations, lots of, um, you know, pictures. And and I, I think we should really bring in this thing, this whole thing into context um, like Clint was mentioning. So maybe we could start like, you know, sort of the overarching theory about all the stuff you guys are researching and where that kind of differs from um, the, the slowly changing mainstream scientific paradigm. 
slowly changing. You must be doing well where you are because in Australia it doesn't change at all. <laughs> but basically what we're on about is that we believe uh, humanity came into being much, much further back than what they claim. We believe there is uh, a double ancestry, part terrestrial, part extraterrestrial, and where that took place. Mm-hmm. I feel it began in Australia. So uh, we've called it the out of Australia theory, but that sort of sells it short because it's not just about the fact it's out of Australia, it's the fact that it's also out of this planet. Mm-hmm. And that's another part of it. And it's sort of interesting, isn't it, because in our first four books, we never mentioned the UFO story, never went near it, didn't touch it. And I remember when one of my elders, when I was given ceremony, told me would, we would talk about this. I said, we are not going to go down the Von Däniken way, did we? Yeah, I mean, it's not that we didn't um, believe in it. We just didn't want all of that you know, baggage and hassle comes yeah, in and look where we are now. <laughs> and so it was something we never, we're not as if we came into this this story pushing that, that crusade, it's because the elders that we work with all over the country gave us no option. So that part of the story about the Pleiadians coming and the cross-fertilisation of genes is not our theory, it's their fact. And, of course, a lot of people don't listen to Indigenous people and ignore them and think, oh, they're just, it's a legend, it's a, a myth. A fairy tale. A fairy tale, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, no, what we've done is we've found the proof, but primarily it's a theory about humanity's conception and also it's also a theory about humanity's role and its place on this planet, which has been stolen and hidden. So it's more than just out of Australia. It's more like waking back up to where we came from and where we should be going. And along Do you think our role as humans were maybe perhaps caretakers of the planet? Oh, or do they believe that perhaps? Absolutely. This is what our role was. We were caretakers of the planet, um, not better than other animals, but had a special role. I mean, you've got to remember something, ladies and gentlemen. If you look at the skull of a homo um, Neanderthal, Denisovan, and Homo sapien, you'll find the smallest skull is Homo sapien. The other two skulls are larger and have a larger brain capacity than us. We are not. We're given the name of Homo sapiens sapien, which is wise twice. That's not what our role was. We have two roles. First of all, of those three beings, I suspect we had the potential to be the most spiritual. And secondly, when the others crossbred with us, we were given the role as custodians, not owners, the custodians of this planet and all that is found within it. And I think we failed on both levels. We're probably a bit insecure needing to use the word wise twice. Yes, it is interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's, only humans would say, no, we're wise, we're wise. No, once would have done it, guys. Twice gives me an indication that you've got an insecurity and an in, and unsure about our role. They should so, change. Yeah, they should change one of the sapiens to like domesticus. Sapien <laughs> <laughs> domesticus. Yeah, I think that would fit a lot closer. So yeah, that's basically where we're coming from. We're trying to talk about an ancestry that begins in Australia that is spread throughout the planet. 
Does it seem to fit in with uh, our, we had a, another guest on Bruce Fenton and the last time we had him on, he was with his wife, uh, Daniela Fenton. And they were talking about, he had the into Africa theory, which I think was sort of matches, I think with, with yours, at least at a high level. And then Daniela was, was writing that book. Um, what was it called again? Um, <clears throat> hybrid humans and ancient aliens. I don't, I don't remember what the book title was hybrid human scientific evidence of our 800,000 year old alien legacy. And it seems to, I thought from what I've watched of your YouTube videos and stuff like that, it seems to fit in with that as well, that it goes, that it may go that far back to around 800,000 years. Oh, absolutely. Are you guys familiar yeah. with the work? Well, yeah, because they worked for a while very early on the first, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we know exactly what they're doing, but it's there is no difference. When we talk about into Africa, people need to understand a couple of things about Africans and original people. And the first one that's very important is the Africans have six genome patterns. The original people have 34, but they're wrong. There's more. We've got three with us right now. It's much more than 34. Secondly, African people have no relationship nor genetics in them that's Neanderthal or Denisovan. Original people have up to 6% Denisovan DNA, and we also have Neanderthal, and we also have another species they still haven't identified. They call it unknown. They call it unknown, yeah. yeah. So look at the two. If you want to look at it, it has to be into Africa because Africa just wasn't first. And then yeah. there's new hominids that were found in Bulgaria and Greece as well. Well, there's hominids yeah. that have been yeah. found around the world. There's one found in um, Siberia, which is just on nearly 10 million years old. And then you go to Bulgaria and Greece and you'll find them around 7.4 and 7.2 million years old. Go to Africa and your earliest hominin is around about 5 million years old, yet they tell us, the hominids come out of Africa. No, they don't. <laughs> and when it comes to Homo sapiens and you talk about, like, um, the Denisovans and Neanderthal, and they said, oh, oh we came into being 200,000 years ago, they've got, homos, they've got Neanderthal and Denisovans walking around in European plains 740,000 years ago yeah. before the split. Mm. It's not Africa. Africa is a place where people, as Bruce said, went into and came from other places, and that's what really we've got to start getting our heads around. You know, the whole of the theories are wrong. You know what's interesting? Uh, sorry to interrupt. You know what's interesting is I was actually just reading a book last night to my daughters about dogs and ancient dogs, and there's only two or three species of basically dog in the world that aren't related to the canine family. One of them's a rodent. <laughs> But the other two are both in Australia. Yes, that's quite true. In fact, it's interesting because I can tell you what happened with that. They did a mitochondrial DNA study of the dingo to find where it came from because I was sure it came from oh, India. India. Yes, oh, India no, it definitely came from yeah. India. You know, 5,000 years ago, it just yeah. popped in. Mm -hmm. The Indians didn't come. The dog came on its own. That was their theory. Good swimmer. Yeah, great swimmer. Yeah. And what they've found out in Sydney Uni, one of our most esteemed universities, equivalent to, say, Harvard, was that the mitochondrial DNA of the dingo doesn't belong to any dog, any wolf, anywhere in the world. And they've given the name of a new species. But what's fascinating, gentlemen, is after that, no further study was done. They just left it, didn't they? They walked away and said, well, oh, well there you go. Yeah. It didn't come from anywhere. 
We thought it came here 5,000 years ago, but it's not related to any other dog or anything in the world. Mystery solved. Let's never talk about that. No, no, they've given it a new name, and it's not wolf and it's not dog. Like you said, that's very correct in what you're reading to your daughter. Spot on, it's true. And, of course, the dingo is interesting in other ways because it doesn't bark, and for original people, it was given the same status as a human. People may not know this, but in many, many camps, the dingoes would camp with the humans and they would hunt together. And equally, if a woman lost a child early on in the piece, often she would be given a dingo pup, a pup to suckle and breastfeed. And I've read stories of white fellas who were being breastfed by an original woman who had to wait for the dingo pup first so they get their chance as a baby to feed off the mother. So they had a completely different relationship with the dingo. I mean, it was against the law to hit a dingo or a child. Mm. In fact, the laws for dingoes and humans are primarily the same. So, yes, it's a fascinating story, and you've got to ask yourself if it doesn't belong to anywhere else in the world, but supposedly came here five to 6,000 years ago. My question to the academics is, well, if that's your theory, tell me where it came from, and they don't have an answer. So for people that aren't sure of the terminology, what do you mean by original then? Is that is that uh, original as in originally and that are in Australia right now still? Or and are they in other parts of the world like South America as well? Or what, can you expand on that a little bit so people understand the, the difference? Well, we use the word original because um, the word Aboriginal is kind of actually a negative term. Um, I, I, found out, I found out about that by mistake no, no, you, you a couple went, months ago. You, went, uh, you were yeah, worse yeah. than Aboriginal, buddy. You were, you were, <laughs> we're not going to repeat what you said. As the term the original people here are the first people that people refer to as Aboriginal, that's what they prefer to be called, it's what we prefer to be called too, because I'm original too. But, but as for where they are, well... They were the first yep. people, so that's why they want that term because, I mean, even the textbooks will tell you the oldest culture in the world comes from Australia. They don't know the oldest people do, but they are the original people and that's how they wish to be called and that's how a lot of people now call them. I call myself that. And no one gets offended by the term, oh, well, some politically active Aboriginal people do get offended by the term Aboriginal. It's not a, it's just a term that's been used a lot of places. But Aboriginal just means, it's another word that means Indigenous. It actually doesn't give you anything other than the fact that it's a people that live on land. It doesn't specify it as being anywhere. So Aboriginal are Australian Aboriginal people or Indigenous well, people. And, and, and almost, well, you could almost say well because we know that they were um, found in North and South America as well. Yeah. Um, I think the last, well, I thought up until recently the last group were in Terra de Fuga, but um, to the early 2000s, I think the last three women for that population. That's right, yeah. But in saying that, they've now found in the depths of the Amazon um, two of the most remote um, tribes there. The Tupu and the Gi. Yeah, there was a study that was done by David Bright from a a small university called Harvard and six other universities over three years. And what they did was they looked at the two people called the Tupu and Gi people in the, the depths of the Amazon and chose them because they did not marry with anyone but themselves. They kept their bloodline and just a genetic line pure. 
And they figured if we study these people, we'll find out where the American Indians came from. Well, what they didn't know is there's been two migrations in there. What they found was, and I remember they said something like, we tried so hard to make the uh, the results go away and every time it got better, stronger and stronger, and stronger, was the closest genetic links to the Tupu and Gee people were the Papua New Guineans, the Australian people, and the people from Andaman Island who were also original. And they have said now that the ancestry is that he, in fact, David Wright said he was adamant there was one group that came in 12,000 years ago. He said, well, they didn't. There was a group that came in earlier. And they are the original people. The original people were living in America, both sides, for hundreds of thousands of years. And the genes are still there. But it's just that what we think happened was the Pericu in Baja, California. You've got the people from Lake Titicaca. Oh, Titicaca. Titicaca. Yeah. That's another group, the Euro people and the ones in Tierra del Fuego. The problem is there were small groups, but what we think happened was they hit genetic cul-de-sacs and they just died out genetically because they couldn't sort of share their genes with other tribes because they were gone. And we don't think, because some of our work on this was put up by the Ku Klux Klan, wasn't it? Oh, God. (laughs) We want to make this clear to the Ku Klux Klan. We never said there was warfare between the second group of um, American Indian people who came in and the first group. We don't believe there was simply because the Pericu people were living in Baja, California, and were very strong when the, the Spanish got there and they wrote about them. They said they had boomerangs just like ours and they were enormously black. They were naked. They were original people. In fact, Penon Woman is being that one of those people has been seen and they said is original. There were hundreds of them then. The problem is I think they just hit genetic cul-de-sacs, not warfare, Ku Klux Klan, not invasion. The two groups lived together for an incredibly long period of time, bearing in mind the second group of American Indian people came in around 12,000 years ago and they were still there. Mm, mm. And the Euro people, they lived on the rafts, didn't they, on the lake. And they kept away from them. They just said, look, you just live your way and we'll live ours. So if I can just clarify that to any people from the far right, we never said there was warfare between the two groups. In fact, we said the opposite. It's called genetics. If you can't share your genetics and you start inbreeding, you do lead to infertility, and that's what we think happened there. And it's happened in other places have us. too. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. We have a photo of um, one of the uh, full descent Anu from the late 1800s. Oh, yeah, he looks... We've thrown that photo up around Australia and, and tried to get people to guess, you know, what, what tribal nation do you think this fellow comes from? They're always saying, oh, yeah, my neighbouring group out in the desert. No, no, Japan. Yeah, the Anu people are also um, original people who kept separate. Um, and you'll find also in India they did a genetic survey I think two years ago, Dr. Rao run it, and what they found was of the 920 people they surveyed in the bottom part, southern part of India, they found seven people that had only original genetics. There was no Indian genetics at all. So you'll find vestiges of the original people all over the world when they went out a long period of time ago, way back, way back. Like 50,000 years ago, way back? Well, even further, look, we're of the opinion 
that it happened 75,000 years ago when they claim the Africans came out of Africa and wandered all over the place. Now, the reason we say that is because 75,000 years ago was the biggest volcanic eruption for the last two million years. And to give you an idea of its impact, uh, Vesuvius, when it erupted, there was 10 centimetres of ash. When this one erupted in Indonesia, there was three metres of ash found in India and one metre found in Greenland. This was a huge eruption, and they claim, esteemed archaeologists Josephine Flood, others claim, that the human population dropped down to between five to 10,000 people. So you had one group in Southern Africa. Yeah, and one up in Sweden, yeah, that sort of area, and the rest were wiped out. But I've got to make a point. There is one place in the world the ash never landed on, and it was Australia, because the winds took it in different directions and Australia escaped all of it. My understanding is, because there's plenty of proof that there was someone wandering around that they said was African that became Australian, that was the other way around. If you want to go and settle other places, don't go there when there's lots and lots of people. Go there when there's only five to 10,000 people in the old world and you won't get a lot of, um, let's say, aggression and arguments because there's virtually no one left. And we believe that's when the original people wandered around the world and went out then when the timing was right and when the world had been basically depopulated and that was the time to repopulate. And you'll find original um, genes are now being found in all European people. The oldest original skull found in Australia and body is Lake Mungo 3 and it's 65,000 years old and they have now detected European genes within the genes of that person. So if you want to know where Europeans and Caucasians came from, we now know we have Caucasian genes and an original person 20,000 years before um, Europeans come into existence. So that part's easy. So we know that's there. And we know that they were spread all over the world. So it was simply a matter of grab the time that's best and we're guessing when no one's no original person has said, oh, it was 73,200 years. No. Haven't got that. But it seems to me, because there's so much evidence of original people uh, wandering in that area around 65, 70,000 years, it seems to me 75 would be the right time to go because there's no one else left. Wow. If we can just, if we can just zoom back to the, uh, the inbreeding and the infertility and stuff, you got me thinking on Easter Island, and they found a language there. The what was it? The Rungo. I'm not sure which language it is, but they believe that la- that language was worldwide too. I wonder if the Easter Island population fell to their doom due to the infertility and all that too. Well, one I thing I'll, I'll say to that right away is that I I personally think that there's an undeniable link between uh, Gobekli Tepe and Easter Island. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Definitely, and I think you're right too about the inbreeding on Easter Island. I think that's what's happened in a lot of places. And there are symbols in Gareki Tepe that that are um, I've seen um, painted on um, body painting for original body, people. Yeah, yeah same, same symbols. Symbol. Yeah, so we're looking at a global language of symbols yeah. and script here that goes around the world. And I mean, even in the Bible. It may be symbolic, but they talk about the Tower of Babel and the fact that everyone got different languages. Well, that yeah. part, 
even though it's not actually a temple as such, what they're saying is right. Um, and what then took place is that once people can't communicate to one another, yeah. then you start to get mistrust, you start to get suspicion, and that leads huge to... loss of information when you don't understand what other yeah. people are talking. There's such a huge loss of information between all the languages. Oh, exactly. man. You, know, people, a... you go into the French, you go into the German, you go into all those books, and you can't read them, but there's massive information in there that could really work with stuff. Yeah, man, you can barely speak English to another human being and get. I mean, I, what do you think you're getting? Like eighty mm. percent of the same message delivered when you're speaking the yeah. same language. Yeah. Yeah. So then, what do you think? So, what do you, where does that put? So that <clears throat> the second influx of Indians into the Americas is then right around, <clears throat> right before the Younger Dryas. Well, we think the second influx was at Clovis time, around 12,000 years. We, we're not sure whether they came from France or from the top end over the, uh, around through um, Alaska and um, the top ridge there. I'm not sure which because there's theories on both. But it's very important to understand. My understanding was that the second group that came in lived exactly in the precepts of the dreaming that the original people had in that country to begin with. And that's why I keep saying, why would there be a war if the second group came, I mean, you look at the Hopi and you'd swear if you read what they've got to say, it is so original and so much a part of our culture that we actually have a place in Australia that is sacred to the Hopi people and they do ceremonies there. It's called White Buffalo Mountain. We believe there was a link. In fact, if you listen to the Hopi legend, they'll talk about a southern continent, won't they? Yeah, yeah. The place they came from. So we have no doubt that the second group that came in because they lived a hunter-gatherer, no-dig farming society, they basically lived exactly the same way the original people lived. So we feel there was a harmonious blending of another group that came in to a beautiful land, South and North America, together, and they also took up residence and were, were welcomed. And that's why we believe that if you look at the coda and you look at the hoppy and what they've got to say, there's virtually nothing that contradicts with our belief in the dreaming and our philosophies and what original law is. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that was done by choice and by design. How does the Clovis fit into all that then? Well, that's just the next group coming and, and also bringing with them slightly different forms of technology um, and also making sure that wherever they live, whether it was in South America or North America, and I know they spread through the whole of the continents there, that when you look at the Olmec traditions of the wide-nosed people and they say, oh, they're African. No, they're original. They're original. Now, our people have wide noses too. They're not the only mob, the Africans that have that. And they kept that tradition. They kept that tradition going. So from our point of view, the American Indian people are, for all intents and purposes, living exactly in the way that we were supposed to live until... Um, as you know, there was an invasion there, as there was in Australia. Yours was uh, earlier than ours. Manifest destiny, baby. Sorry. <laughs> um, huh. Well, I, f I feel I was going to say something about the younger Dryas, too, because I feel like if they said 12,000 years ago and they came back in well, to I was, North America, probably after the flood. Yeah, they, I was going to you know, tie like, that next thing into if they thought. We, we've had Randall Carlson on the show several times here. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. I assume you would be. Um, 
But, you know, is, do you think that second coming in, is that sort of a repopulation after, you know, the southern half of the world was wiped out? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you look at the rules here, if you look at anything, you will find that even the archaeologists will tell you around ten to 12,000 years ago, the world's population dropped by 90%. But they won't say what happened. It's obvious there was some sort of cataclysm. Even the original people have a story about a flood. It's in our dreaming. It's in the dreaming stories of every culture around the world. And, yes, I think that is exactly what drove these people to another place. They would have been maybe ones that got in a decent boat. I'm not dismissing. See, people seem to think that the boats are, you know, they're quite recent. No, they're not. I believe, I mean, even their theories about coming to Africa, from Africa to Australia, you have to sail over 100 kilometres of ocean to get there. So even under their theories, if you can sail 100 k's across the ocean, you can sail the oceans. And they're saying 60,000 years ago those boats were around. So even if I rely on them, why can't? I mean, there's a lot of people who feel they sailed from France. Don't they? Well. I think they could have sailed there. In fact, if you go to South America, they talk about the fact that their people sailed to that country. But sailed in a different way than I would have thought. I would have thought island hopping, but um, they talk about a southern route. Yeah. Skirting along the edge of Antarctica and coming up that way. Riding the winds. The, the, the fish and uh, marine life down there, and they use that to get across mm. um, to Chile. Um, in fact, in the schools there, they teach an origin story from Australia. In Chile. Mm. All the children are taught that the original people came from Australia to settle their land. You can look a lot of art that looks exactly the same. And I think you'll find that, that, that the flood and the, the massive conflagration and the changing of so much of your land, you can just imagine the people living on the coast when all of a sudden it just all disappeared. What are they going to do? And it's not that easy, particularly if you take Australia. If you're living on the coast and your land is gone, you can't go inland because somebody already owns that land. You've got to think about that. The reason why people probably left and sailed to America <clears throat> is because in a lot of those areas, once once they lost their land, you just can't you can't just walk inland when there's another group that's living there. You can have wars and all sorts of stuff and you may not want to do that. And at that particular time, I don't believe people were that warlike. Mm. So therefore what do you do? You go somewhere new where there's plenty of room to take your people. And I think that's what happened. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Well I think that's for sure. I think the coast would have been probably, you know, some sort of weird, gross, you know, half used to be forest and, you know, whatever sort of, whatever sort of latrine system you had is, you know, I'd, I'd like the coast would have turned into something pretty gross for a couple hundred years. I would think you wouldn't want to be too close yeah, to that. Too anyway. ah, and if you've, if you've adapted a lifestyle around a coast, where you've got trees and you've got all this stuff and it all becomes salty and all sorts of stuff like that, all your hunter-gathering techniques are based around a a place that doesn't exist. What do you do? I mean, you can still fish, but all the other things have gone. So that's when I think people thought, well, we can't use our skills anymore here. We'll have to go somewhere else. And I believe, and in fact I know, it was a global population and they would have known where they were sailing to they didn't just sail off into the distance and hope they found somewhere. They would have known it was there. Oh, I mean, uh, oh, I'll just sail off in a northwards direction. Mm. It's absurd. Yeah. They would have been scared well, you, of falling off. Well, yeah. yeah, well, you take the out-of-Africa theory. Their belief is that what happened was that 
the very first Africans, they wandered through the whole of Asia and the Middle East just after, around 75,000 years ago, just after Mount Tabor erupted, and nobody's there. And they, they didn't settle anywhere. They walked through all of it, went through the whole of Asia, didn't like any of it, then got down to somewhere near Indonesia and then looked off into the distance and saw nothing. Because you've got to sail at least 100 k's at any stage, even during the Ice Ages, to get to Australia. And got a group of people to get on the boat, because you've got to have a group of people or you'll get inbreeding. It can't be two or three. It's got to be over 20. And then decided, let's go that way where there's nothing, when behind us there's everything and virtually no one there. That is how this theory is supposed to start. And from our point of view, the very base of that theory just doesn't make sense. In fact, it's illogical. And I'm going to use, and I've used this a few times, haven't I? Can I use one of your great philosophers of the 20th and 21st century, Judge Judy? She made a point about this, and she said, if it doesn't make sense, it must be a lie. And that's what we think. We're just backing up her belief on that, that this is a lie. So they didn't just stand on the coast and look and say, there's nothing there, let's go that way. They were already in this place going the other way because they knew what was there too. So do you think it's a lie like a, like by design or a lie of, you know, the common, you know, archaeologist not wanting to be wrong, trying to protect their own work or, you know, the, you know, like it, is it an overarching cover up or is it just general human fuckery? I was kind of going to say that too, because it's, it's, it takes people like these guys and Graham Hancock to take all the all the scientific pieces that are already out there that nobody, they don't want to put together. Like they're just looking at a narrow view and you guys are putting this big puzzle piece together and we're actually, you know, getting further with, uh, with that. But like Darren said, is that, you know, it's, is it, it's frustrating, but is it um, just out of ignorance or. I think it's both. Mm. We both think it's both. I mean, we're dealing with a skull at the moment where, archaeologists have looked at it and said, oh, I don't want to look at it. I'm going to walk away. I don't want to talk about that skull. And we've had That's many of them. the new hominid skull, is it? Yeah, yeah. But then you've got others. I mean, you've got those ones, but they're just protecting their post because a lot of academics feel like I wrote a, a theory about it out of, out of Africa and now it's all wrong. Will I lose my posting? They're protecting their ego. And I don't believe that in that respect they're involved in the conspiracy as such, but... I also know at the highest levels, they know a lot more. Yeah. They know more. And that they won't look, they won't put out. And I believe the reason they won't put out is because they don't like the history that this would actually bring up. I mean, for example, we're of the opinion that for a very long period of time, humans were spiritual beings and they could telepathically communicate like our elders can. We've sat with an elder that disappeared in front of our eyes and did what he calls a party trick and disappeared in front of Graham Hancock's eyes, who was there at the time when he did it. Mm. Graham saw this happen. Now, there was a time, and I've spoken to other elders about this, there was a time when that wasn't considered supernatural or paranormal. It was considered natural and normal. I don't believe that the the people at the highest level who know all of this story ever want this to come out. Because I've said to many people, what would you prefer, a better flat screen TV or the ability to telepathically communicate with any being on the planet? And every one of them will say, I prefer to telepathically communicate. And I say to them, well, why don't you do it? Because you can. 
That's the trick. And I think what this is is they've created a history. I think it's very important people understand that history. If you look at our history, it's about warfare. I'm a teacher. I've been I've taught history, I've taught geography, and I can tell you now that when you do history, you basically do a series of conflicts. And what it does is it creates within us an underlying expectation that we are actually warlike beings, and this is naturally what humans do. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when we go to war, we don't question it because we just think, oh, well, you know, that's just the way it is and it's always been that way. And the fact that the world spends round about 40 cents in every dollar made on this planet on warfare and security, if we didn't spend it on that, there'd be no poverty. But we do because we keep thinking that's just the way we are. Well, our understanding is until about six, 7,000 years ago, there wasn't this, this didn't happen. We had one language, there was cooperation and communication, and nobody would ever take in Australia when we do have wars, and we do have them here, you're not allowed to fight on someone's land, and when you finish, you go back to your land, and the winner can't take your land off you, can't take your history, can't take your culture. Well, once that changed, when the winners started winning, they changed the history, and they've changed it in a way now that makes us believe this is just part of the human condition. Well, my take is it's not. It's been imposed. And because they make us so fearful, when you become fearful, you become defensive, and it's much easier to get a person to become aggressive once they're under those conditions where they feel like they're being attacked. So I believe there's, there's two levels to it. There's the level of the archaeologist that just wants to save their job and their posting, but there's a, a more insidious level at the highest level where they're trying to hijack our ancestry and our purpose for being here. I mean, there's also you know, to bring up insecurity, geologists versus archaeologists. Oh, God, yeah. There's yeah. that old battle. Yeah, because there's so many geologists now that are giving evidence of human activity that goes into, well, in America, like Val Sequillo. Yeah. They had, oh, so many numbers of 200, 400, 500, 600,000, and the only people who fought against it were the archaeologists. And what does an archaeologist do, basically? Gets a spade and digs and puts up a drip line. They really don't do a lot of science. They just think they do. Ooh, well, there's also what about anthropologists? <laughs> Sorry? What was that? What about anthropologists? They must fit into that somewhere as well. Well, to an extent, but I've got it. There are some very good anthropologists, and I, I'm not going to slag them off as much as the archaeologists. Our issue is with archaeologists in Australia, and at the moment, we've got one on site. We've got a lot of geologists who are backing us quietly and, and giving and checking our work and making sure we're on song. That's easy, isn't it? Mm. We've got some very good geologists who won't put their name up next to us for fear of losing their reputation and everything else. But when I it comes to open-minded geologists, or or what? Yeah, yeah. We've we've got open lines with geologists who are backing yeah. us strongly because they know that when uh, our pl- things are found in a strata that they know the date of. Well, that's what they know. They and know and that, that, that brings in the third component. Like there's the two components, the two layers that you mentioned, but the third layer is the one that you guys sort of, you know, switched on to partly through your work is the ET part of it, whether it's Palladians or some other kind of, 
you know, ET technology or, or whatever, or artifacts like now they're, you know, I think that's part of it is they really just don't want us to, to wake up yet to that whole thing as well. And then, so what did you guys find or how did you guys change gears into, into that whole thing? Was it a series of events or was it something that happened that? Uh, a series of events is a good one because look, we found, um, you know, at uh, Trina's site, we found rocks that were cut into cubes and there were 10, 10 tons and they're made from granite. And it could have been done. It could have been done by humans. I wasn't going to, um, I wasn't going to question that. I left that as a 50-50, didn't we? Mm. Could have been done by humans. What I tell you, it's technology that we have trouble today. We found about five of those cubes, didn't we? Yeah. Perfect cubes cut and there were granite and crystal inside, really strong. But to an extent, the reason that we got went down this path, the Plea- well, for, in our country, I'm going to have to say it's mainly Pleiadian. I know that Syrians were elsewhere in Africa and stuff like that, but we're sticking with Pleiades because that's what we're given. It's the only the whole piece speak of the Pleiades too, right? So yeah, well, it, it we, we don't. Have... Well, see, for us, the reason why we've gone down this path is we're we're doing the we're prosecuting the original truths. And there's only one tribe. We've got around about 500 tribes with 500 different languages, not one, just like in America when you have different tribes there. But we've got a lot more. We've got around 500. But there, and each of them have their own dances, their own ceremonies, their own stories that go to their land alone. But there is one story that belongs to every tribe in Australia without exception where the narrative Barely changes. I mean, sometimes when the seven sisters from the Pleiades are chased by the male from Orion, sometimes he's okay. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes he gets one of the sisters. Sometimes he doesn't. But the general part of this is that in every case, we have the seven sisters from Pleiades that are coming to Australia. And ladies and gentlemen, the way they put it to me was they landed here. It wasn't some sort of symbolic statement of the seven stars going past, but there's more than seven. It was that they came to this country and selected Australia. That's how we got involved in it, because if we're going to talk their story and and back it all the way along, we had no choice. We will can't f- ignore those patterns. There's no No, well, not if the elders keep telling us to say it. That's the point, you see, because the elders kept saying it's time to bring this up. So if we didn't do that, I don't know that we would have got access onto the other sites we've got access onto. They might have just said, well, if you're not going to do it properly, you're going to pick and choose like all the other archaeologists, and we don't want you anymore. So it's either all or nothing. You you go all the way in and you follow it through. So that's how it started. And And that kind of... That ties in with a lot of the North American Indian and the Canadian Indian the and, and the star people. You know, we had already yeah. six killer Clark God yeah. talking about all the different star people uh, myths and legends and stuff like that. And then I think it also would line up pretty well with, um, you know, the uh, the ancient Hindus and stuff like that talking about Vimanas and that sort of thing. Great battles in the sky. Yeah, yes. So I it did fit. Yeah, I got a specific question for you here um, about the Pleiades. Was there anything, did you find anything in in all those myths and all those things about specific meanings of the Pleiades rising, like coming up over the horizon? And and the reason I I asked that is we were out looking for UFOs one night and uh, about three in the morning, um, the constellation came up 
over the horizon and it was uh it was pretty mind-blowing seeing it that low like there was uh there was northern lights that night as well which might have contributed to this but it really looked like a blue ball of a blue green amorphous blob of energy like it was it was so astounding i jumped out of my seat and, and ran over to try and figure out what it was like it was absolutely mind-blowing watching that constellation come up over the horizon on a clear on a crystal clear night in the middle of the night like new moon dark sky yeah, well, look, um, there are so many different stories about them coming here um, and bringing wisdom and knowledge. And I think my understanding from what the elders have told me was that the Pleiadians brought to us wisdom and knowledge and, and this is the part that people miss a lot, that we gave them wisdom and knowledge too. I think this is something that gets lost a bit when we talk about the Pleiadians and, and well, the Syrians not so much because they firstly came to mine gold and basically fiddled with our genes to make us more compliant. But I've got a suspicion that's the clue. I think the Pleiadians came here for a very specific reason um, and had a long-term plan. And I'm not so sure that the others did. I think the others came for much uh, sort of like more uh, selfish reasons to an extent, mining gold and things like that. The Pleiadians came here, I believe, to create something, and I'll use a Gnostic, I think it's the Apocalypse of Adam, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, where Adam said to Eve that, uh, Adam said to Seth that Eve taught me that we could be greater than the gods that created us. And our understanding was that that blue ball of energy you were looking at was very enlightened, but there are things on this planet and skills we had and knowledge we had that they wanted to learn from, and that's why they came here. It was a two-way um, expedition and a two-way sharing of wisdom and knowledge and what I think they were hoping to create because I believe from what I've been told this planet is unusual and special in so many ways. I've been told there's very few planets anywhere that grow trees. But we do. And, of course, what do we do to the trees? That's a different story. But I believe that they, the Pleiadians and the people from this planet are integrally linked from the beginning. We have been told a story, a dreaming story, about the Pleiadians sending a spear. Remember that one, Evan? Yeah. And we've got a rock that represents this, yeah. yeah. And that spear was coated with amoeba germs and all the things that make life. And it was thrown, that's the way they put it, from the Pleiades and landed in, in Australia at a place called Uluru, which some people know as Ayers Rock. And if you look at Ayers Rock, it's got a cap on the top, then it goes down about three miles like a straight spear to a point. And that was the seeding of life. And they were part of that. And then when life evolved to a stage where they could become part of us, they came. So we sort of feel like the Pleiades has been part of the Earth since the very beginning because they're a far older race than us and they seeded this planet with a long-term goal. And that goal was that, according to the elders, they are coming back. And when they come back, they have a plan for the future, which we've been told. So they have a long-term plan. What's they the had plan? a long-term plan finding a and hominid that was their equal, and they have a long-term plan for when they came back and why they came back and what they're going to do. 
what's the plan? What are they going to do? <laughs> is it going to be like Independence Day style? No, no, no. That, that's great. That's what they put up to try and scare the crap out of people. Yeah. No, it's not. I can tell you some of what's going to take place because we do talk about in our talks now and we'll give them the right to do so by the elders. About a year and a half ago, an elder of old way, because a lot of our elders have lost the old ways, rang me and told me about the fact that the Pleiadians were coming. They'd been called and sung and they were coming back. There was an agreement when they came here, when the time was right, they'd come back to complete what they started. And the story is, I don't know the timing because the elders have told me one, it's gone from one to five years, haven't it? Yeah, sometime within one to five. Yeah, within one to five years when we were told. The Art of Martha said one and a half turns. Others have said different amounts. I don't think it's really that, that important, the timing, but what they told me was going to happen was that they were going to come back to Australia because that's where they started the, the whole um, expedition and when they started with the hominins. And they were going to, one elder said hover and another elder said land on Uluru. And what they were going to do, according to them, was they were going to take in, oh, how can I put this? They were going to take in the vibration, the positive vibrations of a certain number of people. In fact, they've even been told the exact number of people that are on this continent. Um, and if they're aware and enlightened, if the number is enough, they take all of that energy from the whole of this continent, they vibrate it and then magnify it and then throw it into Uluru which is an incredibly sacred site that lives on a sacred line, that will then go to four other sites in Australia, like in lines across to them, activate those sites, and then it goes throughout the world. Mm. What then happens is this. If you gentlemen will be aware of the Schumann residence and the fact that quite recently the Earth has peaked massively yeah. and gone up to very high vibrations, I am told it will stay I know it's gone up to 140, 150. It'll stay on that vibration forever. And what will then happen, according to the elders, there will be two realities on this planet. Oh, God. It seems we, like that started. The, yeah. Well, yeah, there's going to be one, the one for the base of people, like the generals and the CEOs and virtually anyone that works for Monsanto and Bayer and things like that. All of those people who are not evolved will stay at the lower vibration and then the ones who have evolved stay at the higher vibration. And then to finish this story very quickly, I remember asking the elders, well, then what happens? You cannot have a place that has two realities at the same time. I said, most definitely not. One dies and withers, and it's the lower vibration. I said, and I said, well, what happens to the people in that vibration? He said, they die and wither with it. And I thought, oh, okay. And I said, and then they come back later and they reincarnate, don't they? And he said, no. This is the interesting part of this story. He said at the end, when that vibration disappears on this planet, so too do they and so too does their soul. Wow. It becomes no Yeah. It, this is like this is the line in the sand that we're coming up to right now. And the explanation was everyone here has been incarnated so many times and because they're still here, they've made mistakes. None of us are perfect. That's why we keep coming back. And they've lowered the bar. This time, they don't want perfection. It's much lower than it's ever been before. And they figure if you can't get to that lower bar this time, you never will. No. So it's no. very important. Things that you guys are doing right now, the sort of things you guys are doing 
are trying to elevate people's um, vibrations so they see the true purpose and the truth. And if you do that, then you will be able to cope with the higher vibrations that are taking place. You will exist in that higher vibration and you stay here. The ones that don't, they not just disappear from here, they disappear completely. And I remember at the time saying to the elder, you sure that's the case? He said, no, it is the case. We've all had so many chances and we've got it wrong. We have to get it right this time. So the And here's the trick. If there isn't enough people of a higher vibration, when that ship comes, they will just move on. Yep. Because they, need, they can't even figure. What they can do is amplify and take what we give them but if we don't give them enough, there's nothing they can do to en- energize that first Uluru and all the other places. So it really is up to us, and we're running out of time. Do you have a is secret handshake something? or a secret symbol or something so we can tell it's not a fake invasion by the CIA or something like that? No. <laughs> is, no, is this the... one. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Clint. Yeah, you I was just first. wondering if that number you were mentioning would possibly be 144,000. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he's good, isn't he? Yeah. It is, Very actually. Good. I remember when the elder told me the first time, I said, man, have you been reading the Old Testament? Get your head out of that book. He said, it's got nothing to do with that book. He said, that book's to do with the dreaming. It is uh, 100. I cannot believe that. It is 144,000. <laughs> I remember laughing okay. at the time. That's not bad, is <laughs> They're very good, mate. It is 144,000. Great one. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah, well, you were right, too. So we've got 25 million in Australia, roughly. We need 144,000 people with strong souls that don't get taken in by what takes place because the world, what's happened is that they know the ones who are against this, whether it's reptilian, draconian, or just a, a bent homo sapien, I don't care. It doesn't matter which group I'm talking about. They're just incarnated into a sapien body. They know this too. And their job is simple. They've got to keep people fearful and ignorant so there aren't enough people to actually feed into what the Pleiadians want to do. So it's really a battle between two groups at the moment. So if there's more warfare and there's more fear taking place on this planet where everyone's petrified of terrorism and one becomes becomes defensive and doesn't become enlightened, then they're winning the battle. So it's important that people like yourselves keep people in that enlightened path. And, yes, it's 144,000 in Australia that's needed. But if we can't get that number there, then... My understanding is they just think, well, there's not enough there to work with. We can't put it into the rock. And therefore, that whole scenario disappears and we, we're stuck with the people we've got at the moment and what they're doing. And that and will kill also, the Being that we're all antennas in a way, I believe that we actually vitalize the earth. We can bring up that frequency, but if everybody's negative, it'll bring down the whole earth's frequency as yep. well. The yep. more positive people on the planet, I think, will bring up the whole Earth's frequency, mm-hmm. where others are trying to get the Earth into a negative state and bring everybody down into that fear state. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, about a, is that about a half a percent, do you think? Have you, guys done the, have you guys done the percentage calculation? I think it's about a half percent. I think it is about that. And to be honest, I think at the moment... They're going to have to try harder. I believe we've got that many people. Um, 
we live in an area here which is called it's around uh it's called basically where all the hippies live and there's um there's about two hundred and fifty thousand people living in here and half of them are living that lifestyle anyway yeah we've got other places in australia like that we at the moment i'm confident we have the numbers they're going to have to make more war and more fear to drag those numbers down there are quite a few people here and i'm sure the same takes place in america and in europe and other places they have an uphill battle trying to drag us down. There are enough people aware, and I feel like there are more people becoming aware. And I think there's a lot of people now that despair with the governments and with the organisations and think they're all untrustworthy. And their only problem is they can't see an alternative, and they've put up with it. If they could see this alternative, they'd also would join us. So I believe there are a lot of people, and I believe the job that you've got and we've got is to drag as many people off the fence we can in the time that's left to bring them over to the right side to realise this planet is basically unique in the cosmos and we have a role to play here, which is why we've had so many beings from so many different other places come here and become part of this because they're aware of the fact that what we do impacts on them. We have an incredibly important role to make and it's not to make money. And it's not to store things. And it's not to make war. It's something far more enlightened. Clint, what do you People think about that? Their TVs. Yeah. Do you think we're close, Clint? What do you think from your perspective? Do I think we're close? Yeah. Do you, agree, do you agree with him on that? Still, well, when it comes to people and trying to talk with them about all this stuff, <laughs> like I said, even on a Facebook post there, I mean, there's some people that are open and they will listen, and there's others that just bury their head in that sand. You can have all the evidence to whatever you want for them right in front of their face, and they're not going to look at it. They don't want to change their paradigm. They don't want to change, and they're just not ready. Um, I've noticed a lot of other people waking up through the years, absolutely, and it is looking positive, but, you know, you're kind of frustrated with others that just... I don't know. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, because the evidence is important, but sometimes it, when they're not ready, it doesn't matter what evidence you have. It does not yeah, matter yeah. at all. But it really well, doesn't. Do you know what, gentlemen? It may well be that there could be some evidence that is going to break through, isn't there, Evan? It may well be there's a piece of evidence we're playing around with right now that may actually break into mainstream consciousness, and it may even break into mainstream media. Um, that would be a good thing because so many are watching that mainstream stuff still, right? Yeah. That's where we've got to get into, Clint. We've got to try and see if we can get in there. And that will be to do with the fact that we've now, we have one of these skulls with us. We dug up one and we know of another one. And only two other people in the world know where it is of what we believe are Pleiadians. And it's interesting because uh, the skull that we have, it's been looked at by two experts, and I've got to be so freaking careful how I talk mm -hmm. about these guys because I don't want mainstream to know who they are. Mm -hmm. One of those people was rebuilding the skull completely because we had about nine pieces of it. And his comment was, it's unlike anything. And this guy's one of the top experts in the world. It is unlike anything that he's ever seen anywhere. We also have a an archaeologist who's really highly qualified, 
that I'm getting in contact with as soon as I get the 3D model of the skull back, which I'll have in three or four days, um, where he said himself, I'm prompted to us, this is not a homo sapien. I said, hang on for a sec, only homo sapiens ever come to Australia. That's what your book says. <laughs> and he agreed. He said, yes, you're right, and obviously we're wrong. Now, what I know about that being is that I'm of the opinion, and Evan is too, and everyone who's seen it's of the same opinion, it's not even a hominin, but it's got a larger brain capacity than us. But unlike a hominin, when you get to the eyes, the skull doesn't go forward, but goes backwards. It goes backwards at 180 degrees and slopes back. It goes back 17, 18 centimetres and goes back in a rectangle, maybe 12. And that being it doesn't have sutures. Now, all hominids have sutures. It doesn't have any at all? No, no, we've seen two of them with none. Now, the reason okay. that's important, and you obviously know why, Clint, because you've just sort of checked that a bit further, is for those that don't know, when you're a baby, your three sutures don't join up, and that's why you don't touch the top. That is why Lucy, which had about 500 cc, and we've got 1,300, that's why brains can grow inside our head, because our skull is not fused when we're born. Therefore, there's give and take. All monkeys, all apes have a sagittal keel, so their brain never gets bigger. And strangely enough, we're supposed to be related. There's a problem there. But we won't <laughs> yeah. go down that path. Yeah. <laughs> what about pigs? What do their brains look it's like? a major problem, gentlemen, by the way. It's a stupid problem. They should just address and say, oh, God, it's not there. But anyway, the point with this being is it's got things about it. Well, the guy that did the skull reconstruction, I can tell you he works for Hollywood sometimes doing stuff like this, doesn't he, Evan? He's been doing this the whole of his life. He just looked at it and said, this is just not like anything I've ever seen before. Mm. And the fact that yeah. this, like, if you think about our brain, 90% of it is above your eyes. It goes up this way. For this being, 3% of it is above the eyes and all of it's below. And it slopes backwards from there. It doesn't just stay at the level of the eyes. It goes back lower. If you think about the neck this being's got, it's not like ours. It's got so many things about it that don't fit into mainstream here. And I'll also share the large, one of them. Sorry? The large eye sockets too, right? Oh, massive eye sockets. Yeah, yeah. They're the biggest that's ever been seen. And they said that to me too. But it's not even the eye sockets that take up. Basically, when you take away the forehead that's not there, the eye sockets make up over 50% of the whole face. That's not even the most amazing part. For me, the most amazing part of the three different beings we know of is the first one, which was buried, and we got a hold of both the femur and the humerus. Now, the humerus is the bone that goes from the shoulder to the elbow. Now, that bone breaks every rule, and that's why the Australian government closed the site down and threatened to put us in jail twice, and I'm answering one of those letters today, aren't I? Mm. They want to put me in jail because of this site. What it is, it's too brittle, isn't it? Well, it's so brittle, but it's too long. Our humerus is 30. This one goes to 43, but we didn't get to the elbow joint. So I don't know how long it goes, but it's got to at least be 45, and ours is normally 30. Gibbons is 35. Um, maybe your biggest basketballers will be 33, 34, but not 45, not 50. And as Clint just said, the problem is it is the largest humerus on the planet and the thinnest. It's only one centimetre. 
when, when I picked the bone up, we all said the same thing. It's so long but so thin, and I measured it, one centimetre. You can't put ligaments and, and muscles on that thing that will work in this gravity. How about That's in water? It wouldn't work in this gravity. And then you've got eye sockets that are so damn big that if you went outside, man, you go blind. They're too big. They're for animals that are nocturnal. Now, if I think about space and lower gravity and virtually no light, that being fits perfectly. If I think about it, this planet with the gravity we've got and the fact that this being has an arm that doesn't work and eyes that don't work during the day, it doesn't belong here. And then what, I look at the is- fact... Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Sorry. No, you're right. I was just wondering if that model would work in water better, being, you know, buoyancy and all that, and I wonder. Well, it's definitely a thought, and, yes, it it would work better. It would work much better in water. That's why people who have got problems with their spines and stuff Mm. swim, don't they, Mm. because the, the gravity is less. That's a valid point because one thing we've worked out is we can't put a hairline on it. It's got no hair because the hair is up above your eyes, so to speak. You can't have – what's the point having hair below your eyes? It doesn't work. It, it's, it's quite possible. It could be that. The problem we've got is we have one day on this site, and since that day the a government have closed the site down and want to put someone in jail for it. Um, they, they, they're doing everything they can to close it up. It was quite funny because we went with a, a group of 10 people I'd never met before, and they even sent letters to threatening to put him in jail of people that just stood there. We only ha- I only had two other people that worked with me. The other seven did nothing. They threatened to put them in jail too. They sent them letters. They really have. And, I mean, I just got my second letter about this about a week ago, and I'm going to send back again because I can cover myself. What, what are they saying? Uh, why, why, what's the reasoning? Well, what they want is they're giving me two options. I think it's six months in jail and a quarter of a million dollars fine or three years in jail and three quarters of a million dollars fine or both. Um, Why they're saying it is because they said I desecrated the site and that I went there illegally. I was invited on by a group of people and invited on by the farmer that owned the land. And what we did was we looked at the two skulls that were already exposed looked at them for the day, and at the end of the day, put them back and buried them. And that was desecrating the site. I can tell you that these two skulls originally, and skeletons, and they're complete, I'd love to see all of them, were buried so their arms were crossed across their chest and their knees were brought up there and they both faced the east. Very when we got to them, Yeah. And when we got to them, there were bones, leg bones and arm bones thrown everywhere, teeth all over the place. And uh. the farmer actually went to the government the government got these two skeletons, took them out, kept them for six months, came back and said, nothing to see here. And then the next day, people came and told them if they let anyone on then they'll put him in jail. And I'm thinking, well, if there's nothing to see there, why do you threaten the farmer with jail if you let anyone see it? And for two years, he didn't do a thing. He covered it up. He just thought, I don't want to go through this. And all credit to him, he knew when he looked at that skull that slopes back like that that it doesn't make sense. And he, well, took a long way story, but we got on site and we've got a film of it and we've written about five articles on it. And um, I can tell you that that particular skull, the one that recedes backwards, it's, it's not a hominid and it's not 
Um, it's not a Homo sapien. And the interesting part was it was another skull buried alongside it. And it had a skull thickness of 13 mils, which is incredibly thick, even by comparison to anyone else that's ever been on this planet. Whereas the one with the, the, the receding no forehead, we call them no foreheads, it was six. What was interesting with that one is there is absolutely no doubt that one has no sutures at all. So we've seen three without sutures and one with sutures, and we just know that you've ne we've never seen a site before where you would have two beings that are so different from one another buried given the same ceremony right next to one another. They'll bury one metre apart, yet they've got nothing to do with each other. Do you, do you guys... think it was them who actually... Sorry, Darren, go no, ahead. No, no, you go ahead, Clint. Well, I was just getting into the stones here. I'm wondering if they think that it was them that carved the stones or if, if it was the original people that carved the stones or, or if uh, it was caused uh, by them to uh, carve the stones. Very good question. I can't answer that. Uh, well, let's probably... describe, describe the stones a bit first for everybody. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great for right, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got about 150 stones, and I want to make the point, we have never taken any of them off country, not one of them. They've been given to us by people who found them, or most of them were bought on the open market when they were being auctioned, um, and they shouldn't have been. They're original stones. They were held by original men and women, and some are marked, uh, most are marked, um, there's two groups. We've got one group which is called what Uncle Marbuck calls the Star Rocks Collection. We've got about we'll 70 of those. Mm -hmm. And then we've got another 70 which is sacred rocks or magic rocks. And they're um, shaped rocks or what? Or are they, are they, are they carved to, like, marked with lines? Uh, well, some of the sacred rocks are marked, but all of the Star Rocks Collection are very similar insofar as there's a base rock with a coat that's been melted on top of it, and then things have been, lines have been cut into it. And the coat is normally a dark brown to sort of a purple to a black. It's normally a very dark colour, and you have lighter rocks underneath. So when they cut into the coat on the top, you get the, the lighter rock showing up with marks. And I think they cut in, into the coat. Sorry, I, I better let you just continue with this. i got so many questions on them, but, yeah, continue. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, what we can say is we've been told by the elders it's made from chert and resin. The coat is a combination of chert and resin, and basically to melt the chert, uh, you've got to get a, a temperature around 1,800 degrees, and it was melted on. We've got one rock, which is quite interesting. That's the one that's got the star maps on it. Remember, it's melted twice? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and that's a really interesting one because it's a sheer coat on every side that was cut. And then what happened is on the top, they melted just the top and it runs down the side and you've got a candle wax effect where you've got this bulbous piece that runs all the way along. It's like, you know, when it runs down the side of a candle and it makes a sort of knob where it just sits there. Well, it sat on the side, which meant the side rock wasn't heated. And so we've got evidence here of heat that goes into thousands of degrees. We've got infilling where they've stuck something in there that's been there for 10,000 years and is still there, which is pretty deadly glue because you won't get that guarantee with any super glue you've got today. Is that We've mineral in the Yes. In fact, in one of them, Ross's Rock 1, there's a, a, a remnant of metal still inside the infill. 
Um, yeah, we've got so many different things and so many different ways they've been cut, but it's a language. And now, gets- with, these, with these lines, you said they're all 33 degrees, and a lot of these stones have 21 lines on them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I got it right from the presentation, somebody found a rock in Calgary, Alberta, or was I hearing that wrong? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you got that right. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Well, I've, Calgary. I, <laughs> I sent you uh, some pictures of a triangle stone last week sometime there, so that's where it really got me curious on stuff if some of these stones are out here. But back to the high heat and everything, do you think maybe they coated them and as it was still hot, somehow they cut the lines in and why did they do them at 33 degrees? Right. Well, that's dead spot on. That's exactly right. That's what we believe happened was they, okay. they put, they melted it on and then you, you'll find they're not chiseled. They're just cut lines and they're, they're very sharp. They're very clean and they are cut lines that can get down to the size of a hair width. We've got one group on Ross's Rock One where the line is so fine and the blade that cut it was so fine and so straight that it was obviously done while it was wet. And then okay. obviously then it dries and hardens and it really does harden up. And What is shirt down. composed of? Silicon. Um, silicon. Pardon? Silicon. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know that somebody, I think recently in America, Silicon Valley comes out of that. We believe the information is still stored within it. And like oh, you said, Rock Calgary, the rock at Calgary, Dr. Derek Cunningham compared, he got one rock and he measured 21 angles. He got 15 out of a rock that Dr. Samir uh, gave us pictures of that came from Bos- the Bosnian Pyramid. We got a German rock and he measured that one. And together he measured the rocks in Calgary, Bosnia and Germany, and I think there were 51 angles he got. And of those wow. 51 angles, 49 of them, are on Rosa's Rock One. And that gets back to the story of a universal language. If right, you have the right. same angles in Germany, Bosnia, Calgary, and Australia, and it's 51 to 49, and by the way, the two angles that that Rosa's Rock One didn't have are on other rocks. So all of those angles on other countries are either found on one rock in particular or on other ones. That is not a coincidence, gentlemen. That is actually by design because it's giving information. So how we far believe- back does that go, though? Because if, if Calgary was – we were a, a mile or two under ice in the during the Younger Dryas, right? Or before that? Yeah, right before Dryas, it. Before it. So, so that's going back 15, 20,000 years. Like how long were we covered in ice for? I mean, how long does that cycle go back? And then so – because I, I feel like this area was, was on, it would have been uninhabited for many, many, many thousands of years, wouldn't it be? Yeah, I would think you're right. And then when... Um, it was left the on the ice. ice. I, yeah. I would think that these, these angles and these rocks, I know the Blombos rocks were about 75,000 years old, um, and they are straight lines again intersecting and that goes back 75,000 years and we measure the angles there. Mind you, that's a very soft rock. The rocks we've got are much, much harder by comparison and much more complicated. But we've got a language in the Blombos rocks of straight lines and intersections. Mm. So we can at least take it back to there 
and say well, they're still doing the same thing then that they were doing when we've got them. The one we've got was at least, I mean, it was it was buried and dug out uh, during construction for a house, and they dug it out about a metre and a quarter underneath the ground, and it's all sandstone, and this isn't sandstone. It was dropped there around 10,000 to five to 10,000 years. But how old it is, well, according to the elders, it's incredibly old. In fact, we sh- according to the dreaming story we have with Ross's Rock One, which is very detailed and given to me by an elder, which was Kano, um, we've got to go back to when the Pleiadians came here, which I'm looking at around 800 to 900,000 years. So I think you're going to find this language of lines and intersections, which is mathematical, has been around, and I think that's one of the things the Pleiadians gave us. They gave us the this in- language. The infill for these rocks, um, do you think it's a curious thing? I wonder, I know you can tune stones just by chipping away at them and you can get them at a certain resonance frequency and stuff. I'm wondering if these infills might have been for a kind of a tuning or maybe matching up with other stones for full paragraphs or something, so to say. It's funny, Clint, because actually that's where I've been working with some other people, what we're working on right now with these rocks is to find the right resonance. We're talking about different um, numbers like 963 and 936 and others. We're looking at different resonances. And what we're going to try and do is we're going to try to get together and see if we can find someone that can create these different resonances and put them alongside the rocks. Now, the reason we're doing that is because we do believe that this is all sound-based. And we got a clue with this recently. Um, some time ago, a friend of ours got a Kalean photograph taken, and by accident he held the rock on one of the photographs, and his aura came out completely differently. Wow. Like okay. something going on that changed his arm. Um, yeah, well, it did something. So what we've done is we called this lady in because she said, that's unusual, I've never seen that before, and we, we got 18 rocks. And we held them. We've got photographs of them. And what I can tell you is we had photographs of our auras first, the three people who did this. What I can tell you is every photograph has a different aura. Every one of them is different. So what we know is I know these rocks, what they actually do, they, they work symbiotically. Nearly all of them work. You can put rods and crystals over these rocks untouched and nothing happens. As soon as okay, you put um, it in your hand, they go. They work together. And they work do they affect, as Sorry? Do they affect compasses or anything like that? Well... Have you tried a compass or you know, magnets have, or a Geiger have, counter? Yeah, we've done a few of those, and I can tell you some we've done now. We did a talk in Adelaide when our elder came in, and I believe he passed on, he energised the rocks, and what were the machines we had in what they called? We had three of them. Yeah, yeah, uh, they were measuring electromagnetic. Yeah, they were measuring yeah, electromagnetic force, and I can tell you that we had um, one guy that put his hand over one rock, watched it shake. There was lightning coming out of it, or bolts of energy coming out, and yeah. all of the three machines on this day, the needle was hitting the far edge and couldn't go further, wow. and some of the rocks that were going over are rocks we thought were just insignificant. 
We didn't. Right. They didn't look that great, did they? They were often really small. Too. Yeah, but they were going off the planet. So we've seen that. We've also was done an. Was it on a special day when you were doing those measurements, or just any old day? Was it on solstice training? I believe it was the day where these rocks were turned on by our elder who just passed on in spirit form and came. Okay, okay, I understand. We had elders who told me, he's with us, he's here. And I actually asked, at the very start, I asked, actually, when the elders were there, because we had quite a few rocks, and I told them, I said, I'm getting nowhere with the rocks. I really am not. And I asked the elders on that day, and there was quite a few there, I said, I need elders to hold these rocks because I've been given rules. Even my son can't touch the rocks. I'm the only person who can. And if they do, they die. And we know that's happened, don't we? Yes. Anyway. So I'm not touching. Yeah. Um, So what I did is I asked for permission, and the elders got together and said, no, you can't have it. And I said, but you asked me to find out what the rock's about, and I can't do it. And then it was funny. One of the elders then got up later and said, I've just been told by Kano. It can be held, and it can be held by anyone for the next three hours. And that was the time when the rocks were turned on and where the energy was just pumping out everywhere. We do an experiment today with our talks where what we do, well, we've done it a few times. I don't know if it's been filmed. Yeah, I think it has. The dowsing rods were filmed on on that presentation. Yeah, we have. Okay. We've done it a lot of times since, and we've added something to it. What we do is we get people with dowsing rods to actually use them and they cross and they do all that stuff. But I was always aware of the fact that people would say, well, you can see the rocks and therefore you make them close when they get there. So we've added to it recently where we actually blindfold someone and then I run off and I point them in a certain direction and Evan just pushes the person towards where I am. And on every occasion the rocks turn over when we get just in that line. So what we're trying to do to show them that these rocks actually do have some sort of energy. Now, my problem now with, is... Hmm. With the energy that does come out of them, it is a, it's a straight energy. It, it moves in a straight line. I'm wondering yeah, it's how a wide yeah. the span it, that energy is. It doesn't work in a wave. It works in a straight beam. I've actually gone out into a street and with an, a guy that's got dowsing rods, He's gone 150 metres down the street and we've both pointed it and it only turns when he's 150 metres away for just about 10 centimetres and then it doesn't again. So it is a beam. Yeah, it comes out as a beam. It's been a wave. Mm -hmm. No waves. No. No, the silcons give, they're, they're sharp, they come out in one point and they never deviate. They go in one direction only. And we've done this now. We're at the stage now where we're trying to work out See, I know how they work because of the seven silicons we've got, one of them, I mean, those things that I'm talking about, I call them party tricks, really, because they don't do much, but one does work for me. And I can tell you how it actually works because on both occasions I threw the rock away because I didn't know what would happen when the energy came out. I didn't know where it was going to go and what it could do. And what actually happens is the one that works for me, which is quite nondescript again, it's not one of the pretty ones, I held it in my hand, and it's the only one that will do this. When I put it in my hand, it sits, the back base part sits on the base at the back of my hand. I could feel my heartbeat. And then all of a sudden, that heartbeat transferred into the rock, and it would go forward and backward, forward and backward, and get quicker and stronger and much more powerful than what was there. And in the end, my hand was shaking 
with the movement of it going backwards and forwards, and I could see it was about to explode outwards, and I just threw the rock on the ground twice. And I've never done it actual, Did it speed up your actual heart as that was happening too, or did the rock just speed up? No, it was taking my, my energy and, and then amplifying. Ex- it, didn't, it didn't change the heartbeat, but it became yeah. so strong, I couldn't yeah. even feel mine, and it was shaking my hand, and I thought, oh, man, this is getting freaky. And I thought, well, what happens when it shoots out? Where's it going to go? I thought, yeah. no. And I've done it twice. I just throw it on the ground. And I've never done that again with that one because to do that, that one will work for me. And it, I know, I just sense that that energy that's coming out, not so much for the other ones where I do the party tricks, I don't get the heartbeat and stuff like that. It still works for you, but that yeah. one works properly and that could be um, – I believe that if I could work it properly, I could probably lift up 10-ton rocks and all sorts of weird things. Yes, that the yes, yes. Yeah. Guy from that coral castle did. Yeah, because yeah. he had coat Edward, too. Edward Leedstalman, yes. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think Edward yeah. Leedstalman was working with a lot of that, but that's a whole different story, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Same sort of thing. I, I Well, he did go into that in his books, and I do believe he absolutely knew about it. I'm just not sure if he utilized that in his methods of putting together rock gate. But yeah, absolutely. I agree with what you're saying fully. It's great. Well, it's interesting that it amplifies the heart because what didn't you guys say in one of your presentations of the reason why they're well, interested is is uh, well, no, no, not the heart, but the energy from the heart is uh, because of yeah, our, they're yeah, interested yeah. In because of our emotion and our love, right? Yeah, so that's what I was thinking yeah. earlier when they came down. Is that what they learned from us? was the emotions, is that what we ah. shared with them, was our emotions and, and all that. Can I tell you a story that fills that up really well for you, because that's spot on. It was given to me by Uncle Marbuck before he passed on, and he was a very powerful elder, one of the strong ones that had a lot of wisdom and knew a lot about the rocks more than I ever did. He gave me a four-hour talk on them. I don't remember any of it. Um, it just went on for hours. He knew them back to front. And he told me a story about exactly what you just said. Because I said to him at one stage, I said, look, I don't doubt the Pleiadians came and others came. I said, but I just don't see why. I look around today and all we want to do is hurt each other. We pollute the place. We, we create so much mess. What have we got that they don't have? And I said, I can't see why they came. And he said to me this. I still remember this. He said, I want you to think about this. He said, I want you to go back to the first alien that was presented in fictional TV, film, whatever, in a positive way. And he said, you'll find that, by the way, do you know who that would be? He was the first alien. Sorry? Well, uh, we can go with ALF, alien life form. No, no. (laughs) There's a movie there with a cute little alien. I can't remember what that one was called. (laughs) No, you've got to go that further. Yeah, no, well, E.T. is one, yeah. That's probably the one he's talking uh, about. Flight of the no. He's scared of the greys. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that one. Go back further. It's science fiction. Um, it comes from America. One of the Gene Roddenberry was the one who came up with the idea, and he said that when he came up with this being, it was given to him. And his oh, name is, is that Dr. The robot? Dr. Who? Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock. It's Dr. Spock from Star Trek. You know what? Right. I was just in fucking Vulcan oh. yesterday. <laughs> Star Trek capital <laughs> of Canada. There you go. Well, this is what he said to me. He said, I want you to think 
of the Pleiadians as being like Dr. Spock. He said, Dr. Spock is rational. He likes the humans. He understands what is good and what isn't and always sticks by it. But the one thing he could never understand, what Clint said, is he couldn't understand our emotions. He couldn't understand love. He couldn't understand jealousy. The things that we have, particularly one emotion, which is love. That's the part he came to learn about. And that, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is why the Pleiadians came here. Because humans will lay down their life for another being. They can, when they're in love with someone, can do the most amazing things of self-sacrifice and really can, and as I've been told many times, the most powerful emotion in the cosmos is love. Not hate, not vendettas, but love. He said to me that what we have, that what we can contact, is we can contact that emotion stronger than any other being there is. And that's what they came to us to learn about, about love and about how we can actually love someone in a way that they can't do, but they want to because they know it's such a powerful emotion. So that's what they're here for, ladies and gentlemen. And they aren't here to watch us kill ourselves and hurt ourselves because that's not what they, they know about that. Yeah. They got that one back to front. They know what that's about. And they've got draconians others to deal with and they fully get where that's coming from. That's what they come here for. They believe this planet, the whole of this planet, and I'm talking about the planet itself, radiates pure love. We've got one rock, only one rock, that is purely good. It has no evil in it and no original person who had bad intent has ever touched this rock. And we've actually cured people with cancer from this rock where spirits have basically been thrown out of his body. And landed on another guy that screamed, "Get off me! Get off me!" Remember that he was, was just having an afternoon nap. He was having an afternoon nap when it went out of this person. It went into him. But that rock is pure love, and it may well be it's a Pleiadian rock. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that we put the love in there. That's what they come for. That particular emotion, not the others, the opposites, which all the other opposite emotions we've got, they know about them. But this is the one that comes from this planet. And when it runs at 150, everyone that lives and gets to the other dimension, the higher dimension, will be driven by pure love as its primary emotion. There'll be nothing else that can get in top front of it. And when you have that love, then there's no ego. And when you have just pure love, then the telepathy, the disappearing, all the things that humans could do before, it comes back into being again. So that's what they're coming for. And that's why now, they're coming you... back again. When you said they they actually came and landed, does that lead into that crystal ship that you were talking about in one of the presentations and this crystal ship actually exploded? Oh, that one. Do you that was recall early. that? Yeah, I do, and that was what, much earlier. You know, you know what really uh, made me start thinking about that is there is a guy named David Hamill. He's from Ontario, and he was working on these UFO ships. He actually had... Some guys come down, and I do believe they said they were from a planet called Archon or something. But the ship design that they gave him was with granite pins, and a lot of it was stones because of the heat, etc., etc., etc. I found it very interesting to hear about a crystal ship coming down and exploding, because we can also look around Peru and stuff, and we see a lot of weird stuff that is upside down and all around and... 
I mean, was there such a thing as stolen ships in the day? I think possibly there was, and in a way it makes sense. When you guys mentioned the crystal ship, it intrigued me. Yeah, the crystal ship crashed near a place called Carrion. Um, our understanding is that it was shot down. Uh, we're told by reptilians, but, I mean, I'm not going to go down that path too far because we do a bit anyway. Yeah. Uh, and the Carrion glyphs, which are about oh, two k's mm. from where the ship is supposed to have crashed, the, the mothership. And on the carry-on glyphs, there are about eight UFO icons there. It's the most common one there. Mm -hmm. Three are facing the wrong way, like plummeting down, and five are facing the right way and landing. We believe, and Arnie Bev Spears, who was the last darking young elder, and the last full descent are darking on Yelda, who told us about the star people coming. We believe that's where the ship crashed. There are stories about that crystal ship through the whole of New South Wales. It even goes up to Dungunny land, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Uncle Reuben Kelly spoke about a crystal, a ship made of energy that turned to crystal, then was exploded and landed. It was made so, of yes. what? Sorry? Sorry? It that was, was made a, of what? And, and it was made of energy. energy, and when it came to the oh, earth, okay. Landed in yeah. the earth, it's turned into crystal form. Okay. And when it's turned into crystal form, it was shot down and exploded. And then basically what you've got there is a narrative about um, them coming here and sharing information, but their problem was they lost a lot of technology in the mothership. The escape pods were far less sort of sophisticated than what they carried with them. So it took a okay. period of time. So, yeah, that's a story that's very common to the Darkingyong people, the, the Dungadi people, of the people around Carrion that all knew about that story. As you go further out, they know the story about, they talk about some fire coming through in the crash that took place but don't know as, as much about it because they're a bit further away from where it actually happened. But that's a story that's part of that Pleiadian, Pleiadian heritage. I don't know whether that ship was Pleiadian or not. Okay. I suspect it's a different story because the Seven Sisters came and there was no issue there except Orion chasing them. There's no issue there about crashing. They landed here comfortably. So that's got to be a different event. Um, okay. This one could have, I don't know the date on this one either because it's too hard to say, but it is old. Okay, um, sticking with the crystal, uh, you did mention about a crystal skull that would not shut up. I am curious about that and how the information is accessed. Is it through light? Do they shine light through the crystal skull? And where was this crystal skull found? You didn't touch much on it in the one presentation, but you didn't mention it. The crystal skull oh, looks... Was a, yeah, crystal skull. Yeah, it's, it looks, it's, it's fantastic piece of um, anatomy insofar as it's even got the 28 teeth. Uh, it's got the suture lines of the skull. It's really sophisticated. We've seen it twice, I think, Evan, haven't we? It does not sound carved then, does it? No, no, it's, it's really sophisticated. It mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, it's, it's a, a child's crystal. It has 28 oh. teeth, not 32. It doesn't have the wisdom teeth, and I've been told by the, the person who mines it or looks after it, it is a child's crystal. I've got to be honest about this. When we first heard about this, I didn't want to touch it because okay. there's been so much negative 
negative stuff about crystal skulls and it was made and stuff yeah. like this. And we really didn't really have a lot of interest in it. And we thought that if we go went near it, it would get in the way of the science. Mm-hmm. So we went into this looking like, okay, we'll check it out, but we'll go and see it. And we went up there. We went up there and we went and met them in a the park the first time, didn't we? Yeah. And um, it was interesting because at one stage, Evan was going to take a picture of it. And she had three guards with her, three men, and one of them got up and got very belligerent yeah. and wanted to actually take Evan out. And she said, no, I gave him permission to take a picture. And that made me wonder a bit. It made me think if you want to make a lot of money out of this and you're trying to make a big, uh, get a lot of cred, why would you stop us taking pictures of it? Right. So I thought yeah. at the time, hmm, interesting. And then what also happened was that she gave me the crystal to hold for a while, and the first time ever when I put it, gave it back to her, there was a piece of crystal laying on the ground, and she said, well, she gave that to you, and I've actually got it just behind me. I've yeah, still got yeah, that yeah. piece of crystal. But Excellent. That, was, that wasn't was, off the skull? It just appeared? No, no, it was off the bottom of the skull. It came off. Wow. Okay. And we've got, I've got it sitting, in a, uh, a sitting on a plate right now with some other sacred stuff. It, it is said if a crystal breaks, it is meant to share with someone it wants. To. Yeah, well, it was. It's just a shard. It's not that big. But yeah. i got to tell you that even when I came away then, I still wasn't quite prepared to write an article about it because I still wasn't fully convinced. So we went a second time. And on the second time, they showed you were there for that one, weren't you, the video? No, 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 you weren't. No, I, I went with someone else. You did. Yes. I went the second time. I went to a house, and they actually videoed what took place. Now, what they were told was they were told to go to the Gimpy Pyramid, yeah, and they were told yeah. to go on a certain day, and um, a week before, one of the people involved was called to America because the sun was crook. Obviously, she wasn't meant to go, so they went up there, but they weren't told what for. They were told to go there. They knew nothing about crystal skulls or anything. So they went there, and I actually have a film. I watched the film because they decided they're going to film it because they knew something important was going to happen. And so there they are walking up the Gimpy Pyramid, walking along, and they get to this plateau. And in front of it, I heard us say, we've got to stop here. And one of the guys said, why? No, I don't know. We've just got to stop here. So then she does. She stops there. And then she's looking around there, and it had been raining a bit there, and she goes over to this red rock and picks it up and said, this is it. This is what we've been asked to pick to come and get. I'm going to tell you, guys, if I was walking up there and I saw that red rock, it was a crappy-looking red rock, and it just didn't have any shape in it. There was no marks on it, nothing special. I would have walked past it. But she said, no, we've got to get this rock. So she picks this rock up, and because it's wet, they start – pulling away the clay, and underneath it, there is the crystal skull. And I heard the reaction of the people as they did it, and I thought to myself, man, what, did you went up there before, the day before, and then cover it all up and put it in there? I doubt it very much. And then I was told some women had taken that particular skull from the Olgas, which is near Uluru, and placed it a long, long time ago on the Gympie Pyramid. So... When I saw it being discovered, that's when we put an article up because I met these people a couple of times, and here's the interesting part. It started to talk to her and talk to her and talk to her and wouldn't stop talking to her. (laughs) 
and it started, she couldn't sleep. She started to basically go insane. So what she's so is done... This a, is this telepathic talking? Yes. Yeah, not, 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 but just in her head all the time, telling the stories about what the skull's about and what it means and it's for the children and stuff like that. It's for the change that's coming. It's to keep the children that are what you call crystal children and stuff like that to make sure they can keep that going, all that sort of stuff. Telling her this, but it was going on all the time. And she found the only way that she could stop this, what was it, Evan? I was to smoke and drink Coke. Yeah. And, and all she would do is from that point on, because it deadens it. Yeah, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that tells me a lot about Coca-Cola here. <laughs> it actually deadens the spirit. And yeah. she actually <laughs> constantly does that. And what it does is it gives her a break. But it wasn't enough. She then rammed blue stuff into the eyes and into the sutures to shut it up. Wow. And found... Oh, yeah, it's, I'm not that wrapped about that part of it. Yeah, because when yeah. you get pictures of it, you'll see all the blue that's been put in there. It was put in the eyes because it's coming out through the eyes and through the sutures to quieten it up, to, to, okay. to make sure that it wouldn't speak as much. And now what she has, it has an arrangement where it speaks for two hours each day to her and then the rest of the time leaves her alone. You know, but, I know of... I know of some psychics, the same idea. They got so much stuff coming into their brains that they end up abusing drugs and alcohol just to get it all out of there. Yeah. So, makes sense. Well, this case, it was smokes and Coca-Cola, but it's the same technique. Yeah, it and is. It's the same. To this yeah. day, I, I don't know. Is, I think, is she dead or not? She's not sure. No, no, she's on Facebook. No, she, I, I talked to her on Facebook, yeah. How, oh, okay. how big is the skull, Stephen? Uh, it'd be basically the size of a, of a child. It'd be like, it'd be actually proportionate. A, a child. It's supposed skull. to be. It's supposed to be to protect. This is what both of the women have told me because they fought with each other. The other woman's rung me up and tried to tell me it belongs to her, not the other one. I said, "Well, it just doesn't make sense to me because the skull called you and told you to be there in a certain day, yeah. and yeah. you were called America." And they said they should have waited. No, if you're called on a certain die by a spirit, man, you don't take a rain check on it and say I'll be back <laughs> later. So, yeah, yeah, it work that way. I said, I can't see that. And in the end, I had to tell her to stop ringing me because it was getting quite vindictive. Um, mm. Everyone in Gimpy knows this woman's got this particular skull. Um, mm. I believe it's supposed to have been found by her to facilitate the change that's taking place so the younger one stays strong. Mm. But okay. she herself, I don't think it's doing her any good. I think it's really hurting her. I don't okay. think – I think it's a dangerous piece of work to have long time, um, and I do believe it does have a power. As it is with a lot of these if, if it was a dangerous – if it was yeah. a dangerous tour, it's kind of wild that she was led to it because usually it doesn't work that way. You're only led to something if you're ready for it, so – yeah, well, I think the problem is that, that there's been a lot of fighting between the two women who will both call. And I don't think that this is a good environment to place the skull in because there's a lot of animosity and yeah. um, they've, they've come around and knocked on the door and said, I'm going to get you, and there's been threats made. And she's got involved in the fight too because I had, when we turned up the first time, there were three guys there act, acting as guards to find oh. out what we were like. Oh. So there's, there's, a, there's a, an aura. And, and an atmosphere yeah. there of contention and of um, I should have it and you shouldn't have it, and I don't know that's really the right place for that skull to be. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, 
that's where it is. And we haven't been back because um, it is. I mean, I'm going. I'm prepared to admit, and I have done some shows on it. Not many because we don't get a chance to do it much. I'm prepared to admit that I believe it's legit. Hmm. I believe it's legit, and I didn't think I was going to say that. And I'm saying that as a skeptic. I went there as a full-on skeptic, but I saw the film of them finding it and the way it was found and, oh, shit, what's this and stuff like that. Man, they're either bloody good actors that should go to Hollywood, man, because they were doing such a great job at this fine. If they made it up and did the whole thing, they sh- they really were shocked about what they just found. How, but, just how detailed it is, it really makes one uh, wonder. It's the best one I've seen. The best one I've seen. And when you get into transmutation, transmutation of materials and stuff. Yeah. And the suture lines are exactly as our suture lines are. I mean, they've got every one of them marked in it. All of the teeth you can count. You can count each one of them. It's pretty damn good. And, I mean, the other part is they have taken that, that crystal skull to sacred sites in Australia. I know that for a fact. Never given a talk. Never charged money for it. And no one's yeah. ever seen it. Now, if you're going to have a fake and you yeah. don't make money out of it and you don't get credit out of it, nobody knows who they are. We're not going to say no, their no, name. No. I know. No. Yeah. My question is, and I put this in the article, if you're not making money and you're not getting fame, why would you make it as a fake? I mean, yeah, what absolutely. are you going to get? From? You make a fake to get something from it for personal gain, either ego or bank balance. They yeah. got neither. When they went around the world, around Australia, looking at these different sites, they flew there and paid for it with their own money. Well, man, I'm stuck. when I knew that, I thought, well, God almighty. I mean, and he was so protective of it, wasn't he? Mm. He was going to hit you mm. when you took one picture. <laughs> he really was aggro about it. He wanted to protect the whole thing, and they were both protecting her because of this stuff that was going on. When you put all those things into the story, there are human parts of the story, but, you know, if you're going to, You've got to convince me it's a fake, and I just ran out of reasons of thinking it was one because everything I saw told me they're not going to gain anything from this, and they still haven't. We've put an article. No one else has. So we only got a few minutes. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. When you were sitting with the skull, did you end up getting any telepathic messages from it or any? (laughs) Uh, We've got 10 minutes left. Yeah, I got a message from the skull. It nearly killed me. Okay. Would you mind I, sharing it? or? Well, yeah, and no, I'll tell you most of it because I've said it. I did say it at our talk um, at Mullen, didn't I? I can't say all of it because what basically happened was I got the skull that was given to me by a professor who gave it to the, um, the experts, who gave it back and said, nothing to see here, ladies and gentlemen, walk away. But because this skull was found 65 years ago, legally they can't touch it because 65 years ago original people weren't recognised as humans in Australia and they had no legal rights. So whatever you found that was original wasn't protected. We could keep it forever. What happened was I was given the skull, given two skulls, but I was given the skull that's even more receding than the one that we saw in the ground. It's worse. It goes back even further. Um, I left it with a gentleman, no drama, uh, for a while because we were flying back, and I I knew I couldn't fly back through the planes. They'd take it the same way they'll take our rocks if we go through the planes anymore now. Right. And then I, I drove down and took it back. And it's from the time I got it back, I got progressively sicker and sicker and sicker. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been sick in my life. I've never had a headache. I've never been to a doctor, have I? Nah. I've never had never. A, the flu, a cold, a runny nose, anything. I've done 65 years nonstop without ever being ill. This was pathetic. I, I lost 
uh, 12 kilos of weight, and I only weighed 60 kilos to begin with, and 48, I looked like I came out of bloody Ethiopia. <laughs> I was really, I mean, I was just skin and bone. Um, oh. My liver uh, stopped working, basically. In fact, I had a Chinese um, herbalist, the best in our region, who said, it's like a wildfire that went through your body and killed every organ by your heart. Wow. Uh, I had uh, well, a little bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit. I've lost a bit more and I was losing some anyway, so it's no big deal. Radiation comes to mind. <clears throat> well, the problem I had is that I had coughs that would go for six hours straight and I cough every 10 seconds. That wears you out. I hadn't slept for months. Um, my pancreas wasn't working. My bladder wasn't working properly. I was going to the toilet all the time. Every part of my body was breaking down, shutting down. And I got to the stage where I called in some elders and I called in the best psychics we know and asked them to help me because I wasn't going to go to a doctor. And they all gave me the same story. Uh, some had never even seen the damn skull and they all said exactly the same thing. When you got that skull back, it attacked you. And as one, I think, Allison said, it injected a poison into your system that doesn't come from here that should kill you. And they all said this, didn't matter who it was. They all told me the same thing. The skull turned on me. Now, I didn't know where to put it, and I was putting it in the wrong place, and one person told me you've got to put it in the right place. You've also got to talk to the skull, and then they told me why it attacked me because I thought, well, why me? Why not the guy that had it before? Why not the professor that had it or the woman that had it before? That didn't pick on them. And the reason was... Well, the reason was that when it came here, it came here a long, long time ago, around about a million years ago, and was called by the trees for protection because the place was being trashed by the reptilians, they say. And it came, and when it got here, uh, their ship was shot down. There's something about those reptilians when a ship turns out. Different story to the other ones, this one. was shot down and one being lived, this one. It survived, it it escaped, and then um, to cut a very long story short, I was in a different form and I was part of the group that betrayed it. So when it saw me me and recognised me for what I was, not what I am now, and turned on me. But I was also told that that was going to make me sick, but they all told me the same thing. It will put you on death's door, and it did. On one occasion, my wife thought I was actually dying. No, I did too, but you won't die and you will recover and it's a punishment and also a way of cleansing. And what's happened is the time I put it in the right place, gave it ceremony, I slowly started to recover. Um, and to it, okay. Well, in the end, the last two things I had to get rid of, I had both pleurisy and pneumonia at the same time. Wow. And that was the last one. It was quite funny because in the end I got so desperate because I couldn't get rid of that. I went to a doctor, and the doctor got a chest X-ray done and told me I've got cancer, and it went through half of my body. He said, this is the biggest cancer I've ever seen in my life. And then he said, you're going to have to have a cat scan done, but there's nothing that can be done for you, mate, because it is so bloody big. And anyway, I got back the next day, and I got good news. I had pleurisy and pneumonia. It was the biggest one they'd ever seen. Most people would think when they've got pleurisy and pneumonia, it's bad news, but I was wrapped. I thought, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have that, and now I'm basically at the stage now I'm about 90% recovered, but it's taken six months because what I was also told 
is the spirit in that skull is being deliberately found. It's still there now, and we've found three of them, and they'll found now because the change is coming. They came a million years ago to inaugurate this change but couldn't do it, and they've waited all of that time for the right time. On the and it's moon. a good one to finish on. They're here now, and those three were found. One we know about was found two weeks ago, and apart from two other people, we're the only people know where it is roughly, and we're going to see it. We're going to photograph it. We're not going to take it away. We're going to bury it and give it a ceremony, but we are going to photograph it and measure it first. That's three. In original religion, everything happens in threes. And I remember when an elder told me, you're going to find a third one of those, I said, never. And we did. Right. We found the three. They've all been found within about a year of each other, and they're all found for the same reason. They were letting us know that, A, they're not from here, and, B, there's something here that's about to happen. And that's why I think it's a nice one to finish on because I believe very soon from now there is a change afoot and these beings are part of that change. And I can tell you, if you want to ask about their power, my God, they're powerful because they can kill you if they want to, and they nearly did with me. Um, and I'm still alive today because we got I gave it ceremony and spoke to it and explained who I am now because it didn't know. It just saw okay. me. It doesn't see me in a, a, a sort of body form. It sees me in a spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it saw me from before, recognized my imprint from before, and thought, man, I remember you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hammered me. Right. He can't, because they got, it got tortured and killed by the reptilians. They killed it outright. But it sort of remembered me because it, was, it befriended me to begin with, and I did with it, and then things changed and sort of, it's now that it knows that I'm trying to actually facilitate this change and is aware of what we're trying to do, it's fully behind us. And, of course, I can tell you something else. As soon as the last scientific experiment is done, we'll be taking it back to where it was dug out 65 years ago and we're putting it back and we're going to give it a ceremony. So it's going back home as soon as the science is finished. But it needs that science so we can prove to mainstream this is an alien it came a million years ago. If it came a million years ago, it can come whenever it wants, and it's coming now. Yeah. And that will give people who are sitting on the fence something concrete to hang on to. Yeah. I'll say, Shh. well, if it is an alien, then maybe the rest of this story is right too. And if he found this alien and is saying this, well, maybe that's not a coincidence. So we sort of feel like that's why we were, it was found now to get the people that are sitting on the fence because there's a lot of good people that will not move up this elevation yet, but should if they just had something to hang on to. We can't give them Jesus on the cross, but what we can give them is three aliens and one we've got with us at the moment that we're going to analyse. We've done the skull, and the man that does this said it's not like anything on the planet. And I've said this many times, if it's not like anything on the planet, as on top, so below. What we've done below, can't find it here, you look up there. And that's right. where we're looking. How are you guys going to be disseminating this information? Are you are you doing any conferences coming up? Or are you writing more books? Or you, you, you know? Yeah, we're doing two Melbourne, Melbourne in Sorry, sorry. What was that? I, I missed that. I think the connection went weak there. You're, you're doing what? We're doing one in Melbourne on next month, and okay. we're doing one on the Chine Coast next month. But we are writing what we think is our seminal book. It's going to be about. 180,000 words where we're basically doing the whole history okay. of everything we've done. And also we're doing 
probably oh, probably 50, 40,000 words will be about the links between the dreaming and Gnosticism. So we're looking at it from a religious point of view, from an archaeological point of view, from an historical point of view. We're going to look at it from every angle and try and piece together all of our research into one book. Nice. It's going to be huge, but I feel like that's what we were meant to do to begin with. And we've just actually got to the stage now we're in the final edit, and I would say we would be probably about two and a half months away, and I think it's going to be called From, from the Cradle to the Grave, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to be called, yeah, From the Cradle to the Grave. So Sounds like a book on pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> I like that. Well, everyone's yeah. fucking real and glad you're feeling better, Steve. Oh, yeah, for sure. Clint, yeah. And uh, do you have any more questions, Clint? No, man. That's that's it. That's great. That was awesome. Well, I gotta say, awesome. this has got to be what the tenth or eleventh or twelfth episode that we've come up with that the answer is love. So, I mean, that definitely the answer is love more often than it's anything else. So, love is winning. It is the highest mo- emotion with the most frequency. Absolutely, it's the one that wins out overall. So all you fucking always Trumpers and never Trumpers and whatever the fuckers just start getting along and you're you're falling in for the the reptilian agenda. Don't fall for that crap. Yep, exactly. It's all all meant to confuse. Hug a Democrat, motherfuckers. So Stephen and Evan, thanks for for coming on. And and let us know when the book comes out. We can uh, talk about it on the show, plug it a little bit, maybe have you on for a quick little blurb or something. That'd be awesome. Appreciate that. Good on you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Good question. Yeah. We enjoyed this. Yeah, really that was, good. That was, was a blast, man. Very you informative. Guys, for sure. Thank you. Enjoy uh, the future, pleasure. gentlemen. Okay. Thanks, guys. No worries. For now. Awesome. That was our chat with uh, the father-son strong team and uh, the infamous Clint P. Everyone. I thought he's like Snuffleupagus for a bit there. Who, Clint P.? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just getting like you know uh anonymous uh recommendations and stuff and yeah maybe he'll come down to the studio one day and hang out with us That'll clint yeah we're not too yet. far along we might have him on if we end up doing this next show clint might come back of course big thanks to clint for uh being a uh, listener for about the entire time just about and he's been requesting he's probably requested you know at least 10 or 12 guests in the background quietly. And, yeah. you know, if I listed them off, you guys would be blown away. What'd you think of this episode? Yeah, great. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to, I would have, I kind of wanted to get more into the, the genetics and the evolution and all about the Denisovans. That's because that. you're a racist, you know, oh, and you yeah. wanted ammo for your racist agenda. See, that's what he even says. That's so. nice. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to throw I you was in gonna ask how, When he how started the talking about evolved, the, the like, far right, I was going to say that's, that's Graham. Oh, my God. <laughs> Throw you under the bus? Alt. Alt-right. Alt, yeah, that's far. right. Sorry. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. <laughs> and I'm just kidding about that, too. Of course we are. Graham is... I'm alt-middle. He's alt-middle. He's alt-left of middle. No, alt-right of middle? Who knows? Bro jobs help better, Al. Um, anyway, big shout-out to the Strongs. Check out their YouTube channel. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Big shout-out to Clint for coming on the show. Big shout-out to Graham for being the co-host. Big shout-out to Brody for letting us do the show in his spare bedroom. And a big shout-out to all you guys for supporting us and helping us along the way. Of course, if you aren't supporting the show now, head over to grimerica.ca slash support today and uh, sign up for a monthly of your choosing. 
and get in on the uh, be because you want to be one of the one of the group. There's a nice tight knit group of supporters that you could be one of. You could be you could be a point oh 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 one percenter. Yeah. All right, motherfuckers. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. your publicity